Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I am the White Ishanuel. Mm. Uh, welcome to bloody February. February. <laughs> Week two. Uh, Valentine's February. Day. Uh, today is Valentine's Day as we're recording. It is. And we happen to have a lot of uh, sex and maybe romance-related stuff on the docket. There's a lot of blood. Uh, There's blood, too. (laughs) We we do be pulling some hearts out and showing Mm -hmm. them to people. Uh, With our first film, uh, director Joe D'Amato's third of four Emmanuel films in 1977. Oh, so these were all the same year? (laughs) Uh, well, the, the, this one and the two prior, so Emmanuel okay. in America and Emmanuel Around the World, uh, as well as the next one, Porno Knights oh, okay. of the World. Mm, that one sounds like we might be going back to uh, getting back on topic here. Uh, this one's a little weird. This one's de- fairly off model, but I would say it's sort of continuing a bit of the trend started with the whole snuff film storyline in Emmanuel in America. Uh, oh. So last week, I when I was uh, talking about or was introducing this one, I had misunderstood. Like, I don't know why I had the idea this was the last Joe D'Amato Emmanuel movie, because like, like I said, it's the third of four that year. He did do three more the following year as well. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> so, there's he's a pumping them out. He's, he's really doing them. So I don't know where I had that, uh, where, where I got that mixed up. But anyway, uh, this year, it was his third of four Emmanuel films. He also did a sex comedy uh, about a gynecologist. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> a Commedia del Sexy. <laughs> so, yeah, 1977's Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, you did also watch Emmanuel in Bangkok, which I think is the best introduction to the character. Uh, um, some brief thoughts on that. Yeah, so... I think that movie was a lot better than the one that we're actually covering. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it also, there, well, there wouldn't be a lot to talk about with uh, Emmanuel in Bangkok. She it's sex a lot. She she has sex. In yeah, it, it's it's sex. Uh, every other scene, she takes her top off. You know, if she's not in public, she's definitely got the shirt off. And yep. uh, you know, every character she meets, she has sex with. That's sort of the whole mm-hmm. thing. It is a good day to be a hotel room service worker. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> great tips. Uh, and, you know, also lavish, you know, very nicely shot. We got oh, yeah. lots of cool international locations. This is a movie that doesn't have that either. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah, um, the character Emmanuel, I obviously I haven't seen any of these prior to watching Bangkok. And she's something. <laughs> She's unusual. Laura Jemser as Emmanuel. Obviously, this is, you know, in addition to there being a great deal of these movies, there's like 30 or so of these. Uh, this is, I mean, as you can gather by the first one being called Black Emmanuel, there exists a White Emmanuel. So oh, there's another God. Emmanuel series that <laughs> these, were, these were a ripoff of. Like, this is an exploitation series that was doing a knockoff of a much more popular series called Emmanuel. Uh, oh. <laughs> French movies. I, I have those two. Director Just Jaken. Uh, uh, they're 
you know, erotica, they're very silly. Like one of the characters, I can't remember if it's in the first or the second one. I have seen these, but not in like a decade. Uh, they are in the stacks. Uh, it's, <laughs> there's one character who's a captain of a boat, but he's on land most of the movie because, you know, it's just a sex comedy. Right. Not even a comedy, just a sex movie. So <laughs> he's always carrying around a boat wheel just so the audience knows he's a captain. <laughs> Silly shit. Could have given him a captain hat. I think they do better. both. I'm, I'm oh. pretty sure they do both. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So very silly, very, you know, breezy stuff about woman's sexual awakening. She goes on all these adventures. Yeah. Uh, and that's what these are. You know, the, then they did the Black Emmanuel series. So they did a ton of those. And there's like, like even beyond so this. Many. Yeah. Even beyond this, there are more. Like I have other stuff outside of this set that's from like that are the original Emmanuel that are knockoffs <laughs> of those. There are. Uh, others from this year, like exterior to this series that are Emmanuel, just a oh whole God. cottage industry. And, and this one, this set, oh, oh, let's talk about the set. It's gorgeous. Right. This is the Severin Emmanuel box, uh, which came out last year. Yeah, it's glorious. The The book is incredible. It's a, you get a freaking novel. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a classic paperback size. It, we get a good introduction by Kirla Janice, lots of interesting essays on the whole series and sort of how it matters to exploitation filmmaking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't get to dig into the book very much. Mm -hmm. I just kind of flipped through it, but I didn't really get to read it too much. But yeah, yeah, I was shocked to find out there's not just 15 movies, but 15 discs with movies. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> like 20 some movies uh and then you know other movies outside of those so it's it's yeah. pretty crazy um <laughs> so we open this one with pretty catchy theme song by nico fedenko i do love the music in all of these nico fedenko is uh pretty consistently the composer for a bunch of them i think all of the joe damato ones uh, i like the music too i Again, I liked the music in Bangkok better, but... Hmm. Similar, though. Yeah, similar. similar. It's the same vibe. Uh, I think it might also be Nico Fedenko in that one. Uh, but this one, the, the big theme song is Love on the Wing, or Make Love on the Wing. You hear it a bunch. I, it, it's definitely still mm. stuck in my head. Uh, so you get the helicopter footage of New York City, and New York is really our only exotic location in this one. <laughs> Which is weird to think about because people film regular people film regular movies in New York all the time. True, although you know this is an Italian production. Joe D'Amato's an Italian filmmaker. I should say a real name, uh, Aristide Massacchesi. Oh. So Joe D'Amato's <laughs> just like his most commonly used uh, Americanized name. Like it, this is the 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 name he uses for American exploitation movies. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, all, all of these dudes, they have tons of names. Mm, <laughs> the, I see. the exploitation directors of the uh, 60s and 70s, they just, they were active. <laughs> they put out a lot of didn't, different names. Didn't Ray Dennis Steckler go by a different name at one point? Tons of times, yeah. Okay, I mean, during, yeah. during his porn years, he usually used a female name. I think it was oh. Cindy something. Oh, interesting. Um. Uh, because in one of the Steckler ones, in one of the pornographic ones, uh, there's a character who's playing the director, uh, but it's played by his wife, or maybe she's his ex-wife by that point. 
weird oh, stuff. Oh, right. There was mm. that whole drama. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's exploitation filmmaking. So this one, we, we got our helicopter footage of New York. And <laughs> real convention of the cannibal genre, the cannibal boom. Uh, this is a true story. Reported by Jennifer <laughs> O'Sullivan. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, as soon as I read that, I'm like, no, it isn't. Of course it but isn't. But at the same time, I still don't know what movie I'm really watching. I think I'm watching right. a sequel to Emmanuel in Bangkok, where she's just going to have sex with all these different people. Well, right. I mean, the, the thing with all of them up to, even to the previous movie, is that they are all movies where she is a photojournalist and all of the journalism is directly related to sex. Mm -hmm. like it, it's it's sort of sex tourism photojournalism and this is photojournalism but it has nothing to do with sex so it feels really off model yeah it, it's kind of like why it, it feels like the last cannibals featuring emmanuel is what the movie is rather than emmanuel and the last cannibals it feels like a different movie where they inserted this character into it yeah, kind of. I mean, it's it it's basically just ripping off existing movies. Like it, it is a ripoff, specifically of the Ruggiero Deodato films. Uh, is I, I think it is a copycat of specifically uh, Ruggiero Deodato's Last Cannibal World, which oh. was one of the ones that kind of started the craze. Oh, okay. So yeah, it, it is literally just borrowing a story from an existing series and putting it into this other existing series because again this is the third of four of them they made that year <laughs> yeah yeah uh... <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we get to the manhattan psychiatric center on wards island which is a real place i don't okay. think they were shooting no they're, they're definitely not shooting in the real interior but they're the real exteriors because the oh, the cool the interior, if you look closely, every sign is misspelled because it's just made in, on a set in Italy. <laughs> uh, that's funny. If you watch for it, like every single sign has a misspelling or like yeah. a, a semi-Italian spelling for things. <laughs> but it's interesting because it does sort of reflect the reality of the Manhattan Psychiatric Center, which was a pretty important groundbreaking uh, psychiatric center in in the 50s and 60s when it was starting out, but was definitely falling into disrepair. I think there was probably an expose around this time. Okay. So you can see like everybody's on Thorazine. They're just kind of intermixing. It, it is pretty hellish. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like like the insane asylums that you see in uh, horror movies. Where like this. Inmates... Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> this... I. I still hadn't grasped that this is a horror movie. <laughs> it is a horror movie. It took me literally half the movie to realize that it was a horror movie. And then I had to like stop, shut my brain down for a second, be like, okay, I'm watching a horror movie, not a woman having sex with everybody. So stop being vulnerable. Well, like the previous, I mean, this does have horror in the first part. But yeah. it, it takes a really long time for it to come back. Like, the first half of the movie is sex, and the second half mm -hmm. of the movie is horror. And it's sort of weird in that it's just kind of half and half. They It just breaks yeah. off of the first half, and then it's just all gore for the rest. The other ones are all pretty heavily sex-oriented, even with the gore that's introduced in the last two. Because mm -hmm. uh, one of them is a sex slavery ring movie, and the 
one before that is a snuff film ring that she infiltrates. Okay. So, you know, there, there's violence mixed in with the sex in both of those, but this one, it's just there's sex and then there's violence. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not violent sex or anything like that. They're they're separate. Although the there is a sexual element to the violence at the end that's really twisted. But that's very uh, Joe D'Amato, which I guess we should note this is we've sort of also alluded to this way back when we did the Mandico shorts, because one of the Mandico shorts is about this movie, where there's the character of Joy D'Amato, who's the director. Oh right. Uh, remind me which one that was though. Um I think it was after Blue. Okay. I think it was like the main first big one in the set, and it's about Joy D'Amato, and we have these flashbacks. And I think it was Mandico specifically talking about having seen this movie oh, uh, right. as a child and, it was like... and just being a really foundational, fundamental experience. Yeah, yeah. There was one that was just like a portrait of a director, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, and, okay. And, That's this one? And well, the character was Joy D'Amato. Okay. Who was like a, a, a trans version of Joe D'Amato and based in, you know, as someone who'd been making these movies with like a weird mutant uh, biological camera, remember? Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. the camera. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So speaking of cameras, Emmanuel undercover doing her expose on the psychiatric center, and she's got her camera hidden in a doll. So it's like <laughs> the eyes blank. Yep. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of fun. Uh, normally, all of the previous ones, she's had it hidden in a pendant, but I think it got stolen or broken in the previous one. Something like okay. that. Okay. Uh, so a nurse comes screaming out of a back room with one of her nipples bitten off. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, and at this point I was just like, what the fuck? Because, you know, I'm, I'm buckling you skipped. for a different movie. Yeah, you skipped the previous two, so you didn't see any of the horror <laughs> elements uh, creeping into the series. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, yeah. It was jarring. Yeah, and I would imagine it's the same for people back then, because this is pre-home video, so, and... They're only like a year apart. You know, they, they made a bunch of these. They're pumping them out. So imagine someone who had only seen one of the first couple Emmanuel films, which are breezy. They're just sex yeah. movies. And then you yeah. cut like a year later. And it's like, oh, hey, there's a new Emmanuel movie. And like, that's Cannibal World. That's kind of odd. And <laughs> encounter this at the start. Like, what am I doing? Where? <laughs> what kind of movie am I watching? Guess I'm pulling my pants back up. So it it cuts to the cannibal patient who's just like eating the nipple like a potato chip. <laughs> <laughs> nom nom nom. Uh, and you know, a bunch of people run in and straight jacket her. Uh, and then, of course, we see Emmanuel in the background, kind of watching, taking pictures with her doll. And then she sneaks out of her room at night. Or no, first, we, we get the thing where she's leaving tomorrow and she checks in with this one doctor who just is her inside guy, knows that she's not really a patient. Yep, and apparently he's going to charge them double for... I don't know what he actually does that he's charging money for. Well, that he's their inside guy. She, oh, He's oh, covering her up. Right. Like, he has her... Like, he knows that she's a reporter, and he's, like, brought her in here and is letting her do the investigation. Uh, but he wants more money, because right, there's right. too much danger for him. Yeah. 
so the, right that night she sneaks out of her room she goes to the <laughs> cannibal girl a uh, weird scene where she just starts rubbing her vagina while trying to interview her it's like she's trying to mellow her out <laughs> yeah this is the emmanuel that i kind of know <laughs> sort of but sort it's, of it's definitely <laughs> it's a it's a little gross because she's not able to give consent here She's in a straitjacket. She's definitely mentally ill, has been through yeah. some weird trauma. But, uh, and, and like we, all, we also mentioned, like, it's, I don't know if it's right in the earlier part of this part when she refers to the nurse having been molesting her. Right. Yeah. There is. And that's why the nurse's breast got bit off, which, like, are, isn't this kind of molesting well, her? Weren't you yeah. just decrying this exact same thing? But when Emmanuel does it, you see. I mean, it is Emmanuel. Fine. She's like a sex she's... god. I mean, she she kind of that's how the movie ends is she saves everyone by being a literal sex god. <laughs> I'm going to paint this tattoo and hope on me and hope for the best. Holy shit, it worked. But like poor journalistic integrity at this point in the series. I mean, she's never had really yeah. she's always been kind of a voyeur where she just sort of lurks at people's doorways and takes pictures of people having sex at like exclusive resorts and stuff, which not real journalistic integrity with those either, to be fair. No. But her like <laughs> and someone in a straight jacket and she pulls up her dress and fingers yeah. her and then like takes a picture of her <laughs> with, with her. With with her uncovered, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like... It's, you did that. You, you did that, yeah. It's, it's a bit much. It's supposed to be evidence against the nurse, but... Uh. Well, it's not not evidence against the nurse, just evidence about this whole place being crooked. But now she's kind of oh. on another thing, because cannibals. Yeah, yeah. And and this lady's got this weird tattoo above her, above her vagina. Yeah. So she talks to her boss, who's obviously a different boss than the guy yeah. who's in the previous ones. And it's also a, clearly a different news office and a cheaper one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This location is a real newspaper. I think it's the New York. It's not the New York Post. Hmm. The Times, maybe? No, it's definitely Sun, not the New York I mean, Times. <laughs> the, the New Yorker? Did they? No, I, I, uh, it could New be York the New Sun, maybe. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know all of them. Yeah, I can't remember, but uh, it, it is a, like a, there's a very good commentary on the disc by Stephen Thrower. Uh, he's the guy who wrote Nightmare Cinema, which is a really fantastic tome on uh, regional horror. Ooh. And it's it's a pretty fun commentary, and he he does does give a lot of background details on it. Uh, but yeah, it is some actual newspaper, but it's it was a newspaper that like was constantly decrying the violence in these movies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It was one of those very conservative papers. So maybe it was the Post. I don't know. Uh, although I would say that the uh, you, you remember like leg cut off. That was a real New York Post headline in uh, Blood Feast last week. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> so it's here that she mentions that the nurse was molesting the cannibal girl to the boss, which is like, okay, whatever. Uh, but sure. anyway, <laughs> the, the tattoo is the symbol of the Tupanamba, 
who are an ancient and extinct tribe, supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. I mean, they are because this is a tribe that descends from them. And I think it's a tribe that descends from that tribe who's also extinct. They they mentioned this a couple different places. Yeah, um, it's a little complicated as to what the tribe really is. Well, it's, I mean, it's it, there's not real any real ethnography in this. It's just no. <laughs> I mean, when you get to the tribe, they look like uh, Johnny Quest natives. Well, it's because they're Filipinos in Italy. You know, they just grabbed any <laughs> Filipino people that they could get a hold of to play their natives because they didn't go to the Amazon. They no. could not afford to go there. <laughs> and it shows. It shows. It, it does not look like it. So her boss is like, all right, th- this seems like it'll be a sensational story. Let's do it. Which, you know, again, surprising because it has it's not her beat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess it's sort of become her beats. And I, I, the the weird thing is, like, she quit her job in some oh. of the previous ones. Like, she was like, I think it was after the snuff film thing. Uh, they spiked the story because it was too hot because there was a senator involved. Uh... So she got mad and she quit. But then in the second one, she's following this slave trade thing, and I don't know. Somehow she just ends up back there. She's working it, but it's a different. It, I don't know if it's supposed to be a different paper and a different boss. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe it's like a like a George Jetson or Homer Simpson thing where you just leave your job every weekend and then and sometimes your job you is go there. back. Yeah. Yeah. So uh she connects with this guy, Professor Mark Lester, who's gonna be going on the journey, who's kind of our main guy. Yeah, um, she's going to have sex with him. Necessarily. Yeah. Uh, he's the director of the Natural History Museum. It's funny, there's already more speaking characters in this movie that she doesn't have sex with than there is in the entirety of Bangkok. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there's like that doctor she talks to, There's she has she her boss. She doesn't have sex with the editor. No, and she always, like, the boss is a pretty consistent dude in all of them, although it seems to be different guys who play just sort of the same type over and over. Mm, okay. This guy reminded me a lot of uh, uh, Philip Baker Hall. I was like, is that Philip Baker Hall? But it's just kind of a lookalike. <laughs> so Lester, Mark Lester, he's played by Laura Jemser's real-life husband. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Gabriella Tinti. Uh, so, you know, they're... they're chemistry is real they they were actually yeah. married and they they were married until his death in the 90s oh wow okay uh so you know th- that kind of lends a, a little bit of uh like their relationship feels fairly authentic um yeah i'd say it does although with emmanuel i think she any relationship she gets into she kind of makes it feel authentic she's just it's just this effortless grace that the actress has that I, I have a hard time describing. Yeah, Laura Jemser's whole thing is she has a real confident sexuality. And you really feel it. Like, this is why I said to watch Bangkok first, is where you have all of those scenes. And I think they're really key to the character is just her walking around in real places where the crew is just filming Laura Jemser walking around. And because there's a camera on her, people are looking at her. But yeah. <laughs> We're not supposed to know there's a camera on her, so it's just like there's this woman who's walking through the crowd and everyone's looking at her because she radiates sex. 
Yeah, yeah. And those are the those scenes really built her up to be a sex god, and then especially in those movies where every single problem she has, like in Bangkok, it's perfect. Every single problem that she encounters, like there is not the slightest bit of stress she has about a single thing. She's like, well, sex will get me out of it. <laughs> There's someone <laughs> oh, I can have sex with that will definitely get me out of this problem. My hotel room has been ransacked. My passport is missing. No deal. I'll just have sex with the ambassador. That'll be fine. I'll find someone. I'm like, oh, there, there, I, I'm sure in the next port of call, there will be some hot daughter of a, of a, an M ambassador who just is is looking for some sexual freedom. <laughs> so uh, they go chat at a very famous location, the Riviera Cafe, sort of a real New York location that's pretty famous. Uh, uh, Thrower tells a whole bunch of classic stories about the location. He says something about Lee Marvin in a bathtub there, drunk in a bathtub. <laughs> Worth uh, listening Lee to. Marvin. Yeah. <laughs> So he invites her back to his apartment and they walk around some real streets of New York. They go through like 30 Rock, you know, the, the Rockefeller Center with the skating rink and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right up I the tramway. that place. Yeah. Touristy. I mean, this is yeah. the, this is all we got. We, we're not going to be looking <laughs> at any exotic locations after this. So we got to be real touristy when we're in New York. There's grass and some bushes in the Amazon. Yeah, but they're not, like, again, we're not doing, we don't get to be in any tourist locations like we do in all of the other ones. Yeah, true. <laughs> so we go to his apartment, and he shows her some pretty grainy, grisly, black and white cannibal footage, like, taken from afar. Uh, there's very fake beheading and a castration, and then, like, yeah, it, it's a thing about a, a punishment for an adulterer, where uh, the husband's family eats the eyes of the lady and the wife's family eats the penis of the husband i don't know <laughs> this yeah <laughs> but it, it's i don't know either it's it's very silly like people mount down on a fake dick uh but <laughs> This is Tanzania, supposedly. So he's like, well, I'm looking for Amazon cannibalism. And he's like, okay, well, there's the Tupanambe, which they were talking about, which the, the symbol is from. And so, like, they became the Yapiaka. And he's like, you know, the Yapiaka, they don't exist anymore, but there are, like, offshoots of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I, I could go check this out. We could go down to south america and see what we could find yeah <laughs> and then it, it's it, it was kind of surprising that they cut to after them having sex without showing them having sex but of course we'll flash back to the sex scene shortly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was very surprising the first time like wow they cut to them not having like them having already had sex without showing it that's I can't believe they've done this. <laughs> Off, <laughs> Off model. <laughs> totally shocking. So uh, Emmanuel goes outside. She gets picked up by her sort of on and off boyfriend, who's just this dude that she bangs if they happen to be in town together. Uh, usually if she's in New York and he's in New York uh, at yeah. some point in each movie, they'll get together. So it's this guy, Peter. They meet up at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Whoa, cool place. Real <laughs> theater location. 
and they drive to just like this wasteland next to the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> and they yeah. in ruins of a pier. <laughs> <laughs> like you couldn't find a more romantic spot in New York. <laughs> I mean, you get to see the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, but yeah, it's that's true. <laughs> something. Uh, I I I feel like I've seen this location in every post-apocalyptic Italian movie that I've seen set in New York, like uh, mm-hmm. the Bronx Warriors. Oh yeah, I do feel like I've been I've seen this place before too. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things I want to note when they're driving back, they pass a theater which is showing Kentucky Fried Movie. Cool. <laughs> I want to watch that movie too. I, it is in the stacks. That's a fun movie. Oh, it's a real movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it, it's um. I don't remember. I, I'm not sure if it's the same people. I think it is. Uh, the it, it's sort of a proto airplane thing. It's just a series of blackout gags and stuff. It's great. It's very funny. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll uh, put that on my radar. Yeah. So she's staying at another pretty famous place, the Hampshire House. Uh. And then, yeah, we cut to the next morning where we flash back to the sex scene from the previous day that they didn't show us. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't understand the, that, but okay. It, it's sort of to have something to cut to back and forth while they're starting the expedition, because there's not much sexiness about them traveling to a place. No. Um, it, yeah, a huge amount of the movie is just them getting there. Quite a bit. So they're on the plane trip. And this is them describing the different forms of cannibalism, such as Idi Amin for political reasons, where he would eat his enemies or claim to have eaten his enemies. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I think it's very realistic that Idi Amin ate some people. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty bad dude. (laughs) Legendarily bad dude. Uh, and there's also the the accepted cases of necessity, <laughs> like uh, the Andes plane crash, and depicted in Alive, of course. Mm-hmm. Which I was thinking about this, and that only happened that, that happened in like seventy something. That that's like an early seventies thing. It would have been like yeah, it would have been still recent in the social consciousness when this movie came out. Nineteen seventy two is when it happened. So that's only five years before this movie, and only like it, it is after that that the cannibal boom happened, and I think it kind of inspired the cannibal boom in a weird sort of way because you know it was this big hot news topic that obviously people were interested in. So mm. exploitation filmmakers like, hey, cannibalism's kind of hot. Let's do cannibal movies, and it did become a phenomenon, which. Looking back, like thinking about that, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, like can you? Most of the cannibal movies, like, it's not the same circumstances, right? But you know, because you're exploiting it, you're you're just yeah. The cannibalism is is the exploitable concept. But mm. like, imagine if in the late '90s there'd been a school shooter boom. You know, I was gonna say wasn't there, but no, um, there was only like no, they there super wasn't because. There's a boom of shooters, but not a school shooter movie boom. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about in terms of yeah. movies. If there had been no, like a genre of that, that this didn't happen. They they were canceling movies that had any kind of vague association with the concept. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, imagine like that's sort of how it feels to me. Like there was this horrifying tragedy that was in, internationally known. Like 
cannibalism, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so he talks about the harshness of the Amazon, that the life expectancy is pretty low, you know, 35 to 40 is about the maximum. Uh, and they constantly have to fight against the vegetation that it, yeah. because of the humidity, because of how fast it grows. Mm -hmm. And of course, over this whole sequence, we've got making love on the way. <laughs> love on the way. I was expecting, I was <laughs> expecting to see them take it literally and at some point in the movie, they would be having sex on an airplane wing. Yeah. I mean, they Not even... necessarily in the air, but. I, I mean, wouldn't they, be surprised if they did. There is a whole plot about a crashed airplane that they find in the forest that isn't introduced True. until way later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they meet with this guy, Wilkins, who uh, he's the dude who brought the cannibal girl to the Red Cross from the forest after she was found with the tribe or whatever. Right, right. Uh, or no, he didn't find her. He was passed to her by Father Morales, who's this guy that they're going to go down, go into the jungle to find. But uh, we'll never, we'll we'll see Father Morales in one shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we aren't going to talk to him. <laughs> no. Uh, so Wilkins is like, look, the Yapiaka don't exist. The, the Yapiaka tribe went extinct like fifty years ago, but there are offshoots of them. I guess you might. Find some people. Yep. And there's his daughter, uh, Isabel, who shows up and she's there with <laughs> Sister Angela, who's one of the nuns with uh Father Morales. And I'm like, okay, we'll we'll guide you there. And it's like, oh, two two more ladies. Interesting. Oh well. She's definitely having sex with the daughter, and I wouldn't put it past her to have sex with a nun. Yeah, if they survive. But if they survive, or before they don't. Right. And so like we immediately go into the sexuality of these. We we see uh Emmanuel and Lester having sex that night and Isabel watching and masturbating. Mm -hmm. So it, establishing her as like the young repressed character who doesn't have any uh options here in the jungle. Mm -hmm. Uh so we get our two guides. Manolo and Felipe, two native guides who are going to accompany them. It's like a yeah, five, five or six day journey by boat. Uh, Man right. Manolo and Felipe, they'll, they'll be around for a little bit. We, we got to start introducing dead meats because this is a slasher <laughs> movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I was really expecting like when the sound, when the camera was stalking them through the forest to hear. Yeah, you expect to kind of hear the Jason sound. Mm -hmm. uh it, the, your mic doesn't pick it up by the way oh it doesn't oh no. <laughs> yeah okay i was i was doing the jason sound yeah so they stop at a waterfall so that emmanuel and isabel can just like rub each other's vaginas <laughs> <laughs> yeah get get naked and just like rub it's 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 pure exploitation but the best part is there's a chimpanzee smoking a Mar marlboro <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the monkey finds a cigarette, figures out how to light it, and just watches them fondling each other. Yeah, like we learn later that it's a monkey that Isabel knows personally, but <laughs> just funny oh. of it. Because she, she mentions it and like, oh hey, I you know I always love to see this monkey. 
but yeah, just monkey philosophically lighting up a smoke and watching them touch each other in the water. That's good shit. <laughs> so Emmanuel takes some photographs of some really bad stock footage of crocodiles that clearly isn't <laughs> in the same movie that is shot in a different film stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I do appreciate is that this stuff is the only real Mondo film element. It's the only real violent, real animal violence that's in the movie because animal violence is a trademark of the cannibal boom. Oh, oh yeah, I bet. I... Real animal violence is very, very common and it's nice to not have any in this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's even refreshing. Emmanuel... I, I had forgot about it until you mentioned it, but even Emmanuel in Bangkok had a real mongoose and snake fight. Correct, yeah. So there, there's totally a precedent for it. I think really the reason that there isn't is because it was shot in Italy. And they well. <laughs> just whereas all the other ones, they're they're globetrotting, so they can go and shoot <laughs> things with the local laws, but when they're in Italy, it's like, yeah, we we can't really do that stuff. So they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't like seeing that. Oh, so they tie up the boat, and Emmanuel's attacked by a snake. Oh no! Oh no! I was like, oh, is she gonna fuck the snake into not attacking her? <laughs> uh, but of course, Donald Mackenzie, our fucking oh, hunter fuck. man, dumbest asshole. Fuck I hate this, this guy. guy. He just sucks the most. He he shoots oh. the snake, and he comes out. And it's like, okay, listen, there's been these native attacks on my camp and also the mission. The radio's been destroyed there. The nuns have been massacred. And let me tell you about my philosophy on hunting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And he goes off for such a long time. Like, cuts to a new scene. He's still talking. He's still droning on about his <laughs> philosophy about hunting. Like... No, African Africa, hunting isn't real, real hunting. Trees. Yeah, safari hunting, that's fake. <laughs> and you just get in a Land Rover well, and the, drive up to the thing and shoot it. Like I, I mean, I don't disagree with him, but the funniest thing is this is all cosplay because he's not a hunter and that's not why they're here. <laughs> like we'll learn later, he it's all a facade because they're hunt they're they're trying to find this downed plane with some lost diamonds. Oh, remember? Somehow I missed that detail. Like <laughs> yeah. I think there was a plane and diamonds. I somehow forgot that's why these guys were here yeah that's that's what he and the wife are looking for uh the, these were their partners in this plane so did he just like was this whole speech that i guess just his like improv bit it's like this is what a hunter like this would say i mean i think that's why he keeps droning on about it because he's just like oh, i'm gonna really make them i'm gonna convince them i'm gonna tell them about what a great hunter i am i was a hunter i, I believe in this and Real yeah. man hunting <laughs> I mean, is when the animals can hunt you back. That's his thing. I mean, his he is a strange character because, uh, I mean, he is very much a cock. That that is <laughs> is central to his thing. Uh, yeah. He's got this whole uh, cuckold lifestyle thing that's going on with him and his wife Maggie, who. They they have this black servant Salvador who's hot and shirtless and clearly is who the wife is into <laughs> and he is not unaware of it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> he, like there's a couple points where 
he sort of makes like he's not cool with it, but he clearly is, and it's sort of obviously turning him on. So it's this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things while he's doing his whole hunting verbal diarrhea, there's this <laughs> there there's scenes of the camera lurking in the grass around the camp, very much like a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of suggesting like a a slasher in the bushes, which I guess yeah. is supposed to be the cannibals, but I don't know if the cannibals are lurking yet. They don't really lurk. Well, they kind of do, and you get like the sounds of their chanting sort of distorted. That's the thing is we get the sounds like to show us that it's a lurking threat. But as we see with the cannibals, they're not really capable of subterfuge. They don't sneak. They just show up on mass and they take people. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that night, Maggie, uh, the wife of uh, Donald McKenzie. She's masturbating, looking at Salvador, very obviously. It's not really yeah. that night. I think it's later that evening. It's still semi-daytime. I guess it's getting dark out. Mm -hmm. But she's like looking at Salvador, carving wood outside the tent and masturbating. And yeah. then she finally gets bored of it and goes out and is like, hey, Salvador, come with me to the jungle right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay. He's like, yep. <laughs> yep boss and and they go out and they're having sex in the jungle and of course uh donald goes first we're just like staying in the camp where mark and emmanuel clearly see what's going on here and like okay they're gonna go bang that's interesting <laughs> yeah. and mark's like we should go back this is like they've attacked the mission we should just go back and start a new expedition Things are really dangerous here. We can better supply ourselves, get a bunch of weapons, get more people. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. But Donald, he wakes up and he's like, where's my wife? And he goes and <laughs> follows it and he watches them from the bushes, but doesn't interrupt as they have sex. Yeah, no. Because <laughs> that's, that's the it's... point. <laughs> yeah it's not like where's my wife i think she's having sex it's more like oh where's my wife i think she's having sex where's my wife i want to go watch that because yeah. i mean he's clearly into voyeurism big time like after he comes back from watching them we follow him back to peep on the sleeping nun and isabel because mm -hmm. he's gross he, he's just a yeah. gross guy altogether so he he will sexually assault them later oh uh, yeah but of course yeah, he, he's peeping at the, the nun because both of them, for whatever reason, have their shirts pulled up over their waists while they sleep. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Why not? It's hot in the jungle. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. So then he rejoins Emmanuel and Mark, and he tells them, I'm not worried about the danger. Uh, <laughs> don't forget it because he wants to convince them to keep going because he's still looking for this downed plane I'm a hunter I don't mind if I have to hunt man exactly <laughs> so then uh, Maggie shows back up and they go into the tent and he confronts her like he's upset about it even though <laughs> yeah. like it, it's clearly not a thing he's just like you're impotent <laughs> you can't really argue that so then next morning, Manolo is dead. He's been disemboweled. 
And there's like a they they turn him over and a snake comes out of his guts. Like <laughs> mm. <laughs> the, the gore in this is good, actually. Like surprisingly good for what I thought was just gonna be a sex movie. It's pretty solid. There's a fair amount of it. Like there's a few major gore set pieces. They they mm -hmm. save them and they really deliver on them. Mm -hmm. So uh all of their boats have been stolen and all of the supplies are gone. So it's like, well shit. Now it's going to be really hard to go back to restart the expedition. Maybe we do go forward. Yep. <laughs> Donald and Maggie keep arguing about something secret that we can't know about yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how will we find it again? And they, they keep arguing about this. And it's like, okay, there's some ulterior motive that they have that's going to be driving them. Like, Why don't we just let the audience know what it is? We can know and the other people can find out later. That's fine. Yeah, it's like if Treasure in the Amazon were trying to hide the fact that Donald Pleasance was looking for gold. Right, it kind of basically becomes Treasure in the Amazon, and we do get so much walking in the jungle in this area. There is just a lot of walking. <laughs> yeah. Jungle, field with some trees. Right. So they find a burned boat, and they turn it over, and oh my god, it's Father Morales' corpse. It's all blue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he doesn't look eaten he doesn't look real <laughs> no he, no he doesn't he looks like a uh a rubber halloween mask was placed under some rocks <laughs> yeah. uh but obviously this greatly upset sister angela and they scream a bit and then we got a bunch more walking uh there, there's a part where isabel falls into some quicksand which is some of the least quick quicksand i've ever seen it, it looks like just yeah. a puddle it is a puddle. <laughs> it's not sandy. <laughs> just fell into some quick. Yeah, it's like it's not even muddy. Like it just clearly looks like a puddle. But anyway, they pull her out. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to do quicksand in a jungle movie. You have to. It is <laughs> essential. You you Yeah. If you're even like thinking about the jungle, there's gotta be quicksand. I grew up thinking that I was gonna have to deal with quicksand often. Yeah, it, it was a much more common thing. It's sort of fallen out of favor, but I guess jungle movies aren't that common these days. I, like, I have no Not idea really. what's in those uh, those ones with The Rock and Jack Black where they're in the jungle. I feel like there's a few oh, of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's a whole thing, isn't it? I uh, Maybe they, they encounter quicksand in those, I would have to assume. <laughs> you would think. Because <laughs> how could you not? But The Rock can just punch his way out of the quicksand because he's The Rock. Yeah, he's he's our villain in the uh, Ultra Q episode coming up. So, <laughs> Donald later on, they they're back at camp. They've made camp, and Isabel's just sleeping on the ground, and he starts fondling her, and she wakes up and freaks out, and Mark comes and tries to punch him, but he's not as good. Of, he, he's an intellectual. <laughs> so <Yeah>. <laughs> Donald fucking kicks his ass. <laughs> that that was kind of funny. Like obviously Mark is our more hero character, but that yeah. you know, Donald, I mean, he's he's a hunter and he has a gun. He's, <laughs> yeah. he, he's an actual jungle of he's gonna warrior. Win. Yeah. He beats the shit out of him. Like, yeah, you stay away from me. So later on, Sister Angela disappears. So they have to go looking for her in the jungle at night, which is a really bad idea. Jungle day for night, I think. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> uh, so their other guide, Felipe, he gets killed by basically a Rambo trap. 
you know, one of those, it swings out and there's spikes and he gets impaled. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So again, we got all these deaths, we got characters being picked off in this movie. It's not something that happens in the other Emmanuel movies. Yeah, no, I don't think it, I don't think there was a death count in Bangkok. No, I don't think so. There, there's like a threat of people coming to get her, but she was never even worried about that. No, I mean, there's a gang rape scene and then she just Right. kind of decides to enjoy it and then the gang rapists are really cool about the whole thing afterwards. It's, it is weird. <laughs> That is an odd moment the, in that one. yeah, and the fact that everyone's just kind of cool after the gang rape. Yeah, because she was, That didn't she was sit chill well with about me. it, but th that's a weird thing. And that's like, there's also the thing in Emmanuel in America where there's a missionary serial killer who she gives a blowjob to, and it just totally turns him around on women. <laughs> 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 see that's what i've ex that's what i was expecting to happen here she's just gonna sex the cannibals into being normal You'd think. So uh, we we cut to Angela being tied to a tree, and there's a bunch of natives uh, hooting and jumping and walk and yelling around her, menacing her. Uh, they strip off all her clothes, obviously, obviously because we're right in that kind of midpoint. Uh, and they cut her nipple off and eat it, very much like uh, the the girl at the start. That's a very gr gross bit of gore. The It is, the nipple it cutting. is. So the, the, like the gore is good enough that I found it hard to watch It's some yucky. of it. It's I do find cannibal films more than any other genre in terms of their gore to be the most visceral and upsetting. There, there's something about them that makes them grosser than any of the others. Like I've mentioned a couple times when I watched Cannibal Apocalypse on edibles, and it really got inside my head. <laughs> Ooh, ooh, That's I might have to not do that. that's the cannibal movie with John Saxon. <laughs> oh, okay. It's <laughs> a Vietnam vet who contracts cannibalism <laughs> from being in Vietnam. That movie's fucking nuts. oh, he catches it. He catches it. It's transmittable It's contagious. by the bite. Yeah, so Uh, it's sort of like a zombie movie. okay. The bite Okay. sound effects in that one were very upsetting. I think that was a big part of it. Mm, all right. Anyway, uh, Angela is disemboweled. We see just a, it's very classical zombie movie gut chomping. You know, everybody pulling out bits and learn. Yeah, just Yeah. The so next morning, Maggie finds a piece of plane debris. And she's like, oh my God, we're getting close. I'm like, oh, we're going to find out what the plot is soon. <laughs> They find Angela's head on a stake. So Emmanuel actually freaks out, which is interesting, because, like, it, it's interesting to see her actually have a freakout. I think most of it's dubbed because <laughs> Laura Gemster is a very low-register actor. She plays everything pretty chill. Uh, But it's, it's interesting because this is the first time in this whole series that she's been in a jam that sex can't really resolve. Yeah, yeah. Um So this is the first she's time probably I've seen her panic. Yeah. <laughs> well, she she has like this whole thing at the very end. She's like <laughs> it's really fucked up this journey that we went on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so later that night, you know, they set up camp and Donald and Maggie sneak away to look for the plane wreckage. 
and they find it and like oh my god and they pull out their the bag diamonds so Hooray. it's all been about diamonds all this time you as usual right and they're so excited they just drop and have sex right on the spot <laughs> but there's a camera lurking watching them uh-oh uh-oh uh so there's a spear comes down donald gets speared in the chest and maggie's taken and so the screaming wakes everybody up and uh donald finally fills them in it's like okay there was this plane that was uh, carrying some diamonds from a diamond mine that we have a partnership in we wanted to retrieve those uh it it was two years ago so this has been just Oh, sitting wow. there for a couple of years So maybe he has been in the jungle long enough that he became this hunter he's cosplaying as. maybe i feel like they Maybe. haven't been here that long It doesn't seem like i it. i don't think they've been there like it's just two years ago that the crash happened it took a long time for them to uh start an expedition for it probably Yeah, I, I get, well, I guess to even find the right area to look in, yeah you got to do all the logistics before you can even get there. Right, you gotta steal a disc and you gotta blow up a British guy Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got to do all that. in Savage Beach. Uh, so they they go through the plane. They find some pretty useful supplies. There's a flare gun. There's a radio. There's a life raft. It's like shit. We've got a boat now, but they don't have a Cool. rope. They don't have a motor for it, so it's not as good. And like, still would kind of like to get their own uh, boat back. Yeah, But it's like totally. we. We gotta try and rescue Maggie. Uh, but the, you know, uh, Donald, not Donald, uh, Mark has like, well, the sacrifice will not be until morning, so we have some time. But I don't get why they choose to not go over there yet. It's like, well, we've got Yeah. until morning. Go get her now during the night. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need to... Let's wait until morning when they're all surrounding her and everybody's really hopped up on their. jungle peyote and uh, Procrastination is an addiction all itself, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so it's uh, I, I don't really understand why they chose this plan because it just seems like it's the most likely way to get her killed and it is they she does Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sneaking into the camp under cover of darkness, what's that? right so next morning they split into their two teams we've got Emmanuel and Mark because they have to survive Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else in the other team. Uh, and the plan is they're going to converge on the village and use the flare gun to surprise them, to pretend like gods are coming after them. <laughs> so, uh, Emmanuel and uh, uh, Mark find the boat, like their boat, that's been stashed, with the motor still there and fuel. And like, oh shit, awesome. Cool. This will help. Uh, and in the middle of the village, Maggie's in a cage. There's a big tribal ceremony going on around her that's obviously way too busy and built up with every single tribesperson there for them to rescue her, which they could have anticipated because they know they're going to sacrifice her in the morning with the big ceremony. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe they just thought it was kind of like church where nobody was going to show up and the people who were going to be there were going to be all sleepy. I I don't know. know. Because <laughs> they mentioned that they know they're going to be on a lot of drugs and that's why they're doing it. They're they're going to have be like the whole tribe is going to be in a shared psychedelic experience that they've been on for days. 
and they know this. So it's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is kind of baffling. <laughs> Poor choices. Uh, but the other team gets spotted. Uh, Salvador immediately is killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then the others are captured. So they're super outnumbered. So they're not even going to try to rescue them. Because uh, <laughs> they, they also only have a handful of bullets left. So they can't, like, right. they, then they don't have, like, an automatic weapon. No, it's it doesn't look good for them. It's the sort of situation, like, if you had an AK-47, there would be no problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, obviously, he's not able to save Maggie. We see her sacrifice, which is very gross, very gory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, ripping her open. Oh, it's it's good. Uh, the the main medicine man stabs her directly in the vagina and pulls the big machete up, uh, completely guts her, and then of course we get more of cannibals eating guts, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> ever in the steaming fake guts everywhere, uh, and then they they drug Isabel, they make her drink whatever stuff they're on, right. Mm-hmm. Then my favorite bit in the whole movie, they tie up Donald <laughs> and they put some twine around him and they pull it to cut him in half. <laughs> he gets cut in half so bad. <laughs> the the one shot of him cut in half, like when they pulled the twine and it's it's gone all the way through and they just show his top half and they've like got a video effect to erase his bottom half it's just the top half with no gore or anything falling out of it I, I laughed so hard at that shot that was like my favorite moment in the whole movie that really killed me yeah there's like nothing. yeah there's no blood no it's just because there's just there's sort of like a uh, a sort of wiggly line of where the video effect ends like oh that's great i love that (laughs) it did make me laugh quite a bit (laughs) uh so all they've drugged isabel and then they strip her and all of the cannibals have sex with her because the point is to impregnate her and then sacrifice her supposedly yeah yeah uh yeah <laughs> it's gross yeah I, lo- I love the realization though it's like well yeah no every in the morning they sacrifice a pregnant woman well isabel's not pregnant so... he's like well keep watching yeah <laughs> it's pretty gross yeah so uh, emmanuel and, and mark they develop a plan and they're like okay this is what we're gonna do i'm going to pose as their goddess of water and sex uh, we're going to put the sacred symbol on my stomach and I'll just emerge from the water like a god of sex, like I am. And they'll all be so stunned, like everybody usually is, that uh, we'll be able to save her. And that's the Buster Keaton plan. I mean, it's what they do and it works. <laughs> it does work. <laughs> uh, they, they, of course, use the flare to disorient. They shoot it and it explodes. They kind of like they, they tie all the flares together and shoot them all off at once. So they explode <clears> over <throat> them. And it, it mostly works like they're stunned for long enough that they get out into the water and then they start swimming and they start chasing them. And then, man. <laughs> They're being chased by natives, and Emmanuel is just gunning down natives with a <laughs> rifle, which she yeah. has never had a gun in her hand in a previous movie, as far as I can recall. No, I don't. <laughs> I, 
she's not the type. <laughs> and like you said, there's that weird moment where they finally escaped and they're on the boat and they're getting away, the three of them. And she's like, man, I've I killed a bunch of people today. This is whack. Uh, all these people died for this adventure. I've never had that happen before. And she like lists the names of uh, all of the the people who died along the journey. It's like, uh, and Mark's like, well, that's the price of civilization. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he didn't like, need well, to go here. Yeah, that, that's just <laughs> it. He says like this was nobody's fault, and it's like, no, I think. Emmanuel is the one who wanted this expedition to happen. There's a whole diamond plot line that people were yeah. there for. That's why they died. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they were going to die with or without Emmanuel. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, and yeah, everybody else who did die besides like Isabel and them, they were they were going to die anyway. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a strange thing. Yeah. Uh quite fucked up uh i i mean i i enjoyed it but i think it is lesser uh it, i mean it's it's a fascinating object but i definitely don't enjoy it as much as emmanuel in bangkok for instance yeah yeah no it's a, it's a completely different thing and like i said i had to i had to restart watching the whole movie because i was just in the wrong mindset i had to like unget high like yeah. I had to sober up first. And I mean, like, it's not unlike Emmanuel in America. I think if you had seen Emmanuel in America, that does sort of start the trend that way, because the snuff film stuff in that's really gross. Mm. Like, the effects for their fake snuff films that she sees in the movie are really nasty. Oh, yeah. And also, well, someone jerks off a horse, so... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember you mentioned that. That's, that's probably why I didn't pick it that week. <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of fun, like, just to see the... To go from Bangkok to this with nothing in between and just be mm. like... The, <laughs> I did enjoy a little bit of the disorientation. Yeah, I, I mean, I, did, I enjoy the movie. I really enjoy the Nico Fidenko music. Uh, I like just how it's a very sharp divide between sex and violence in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the gore is good. I appreciate that it's a cannibal movie without real animal death. Also, yeah. I mean, in terms of cannibal movies, this is relatively tame. And also, there's no hardcore sex in this one, whereas there is some hardcore sex in the last couple. I don't know if there wasn't mm -hmm. any was any in Bangkok. I don't think there was any hardcore okay. stuff in that, no. It's evident in the next two you you do mm. see hardcore sex in uh the ones in between and i'm guessing you're going to see some in the movie this is replaced with in the stacks uh which of course is porno knights of the world the next one in the series <laughs> see yeah <laughs> now <laughs> i'm thinking that sounds like we're getting back on model but now i'm worried there's going to be some kind of horrific violence going on at the porno knights yeah, so I don't know this one. I like I, I haven't seen past uh the first like I, I haven't seen any of these later ones. Uh I'm trying to pull it up here to see what this one is about. Uh because there's a couple of them. There's Porno Knights of the World and then Emmanuel and the Porno Knights of the World. <laughs> oh, they're different. Okay. <laughs> 
so the the first one, Porno Nights of the World, also known as Sexy Night Report. All right. <laughs> uh, this one is just her globetrotting. Uh, it's uh, the the letterbox descri description says Emmanuel takes viewers on a worldwide perv vacation. So it's mm. it's sort of a, a Mondo movie with her introducing footage of weird sex rituals all around the world. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. Okay. That could be good, yeah. Uh, but this one's Bruno Matai rather than Joe D'Amato. So Bruno Matai is similar kind of dude with another really huge filmography. You've seen some Bruno Matai. He did. Uh, the name is familiar for sure. He, I don't know if you saw Cruel Jaws, did you? Oh, gosh. I don't his, remember if I did, honestly. His, his Jaws knockoff with like the Hulk Hogan looking guy. Uh, you did see Night Killer and Shocking Dark, I think. Yes, I did see those. Yeah, so those are Bruno Matai's. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So he's he joins the Emmanuel series next. All right. Should, should be fun. <laughs> should be, yeah. Uh, but before we head on to part two, we've got the seventh episode of Ultra Q SOS Mount Fuji, uh, directed by Toshihiro Ijima. Uh, originally aired February 13th, 1966. Still on track. Yeah. And I would say, notably here, we're back on model after a strange detour with Grow Up Little Turtle last week. Characters I remember. Kaiju. Um, weird happenings. Your brain will leave your body. I love it. There's the a theme song. The theme song was back. That I was really thrilled just right at the start to have the theme song back. I was like, oh... I really missed this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was only gone for a week, but man, it, its absence was felt. It really, really was. So we start with Ipe and Yuri. They're visiting Mount Fuji, Fujisan, because vol volcanic activity has been discovered in the area, which is unexpected. Yeah. The, uh, they say that it hasn't erupted in... 250 years. It's been dormant. I don't know for... if that's actually true, but I think that's true. Okay. I, I believe so. Uh, so there's, there's this Professor Hayawaka who they've heard from that they're coming to see here. And right. Ipe's really skeptical of it, which is interesting because Ipe does seem, from the previous experience we've had of him, he seems like the one who's a fool. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he he's kind of a goofball, but he should be on board with the weird shit. Yeah, so this one, he's the skeptic this episode. It's kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, so over the opening theme, the narrator tells us, uh, Fuji's been dormant for 250 years, but he's like, that's not that long in the scheme of things. As far as like Mount Fuji goes, you know, it's, it's a mountain. Mountain times are different from people time. That's a good point. He raises a valid point. Yeah. I like the way the credits appear in like the spinning hubcap of the car as they're driving there. Oh yeah, I like this one. This one I, I really liked for that. That was cool. Yeah, that was kind of sick. That, that was a neat way to depict them. Uh, so they, they said that the volcanic activity has been moving north to Fuji over a bunch of different places. And then as the credits end, we get this big kaboom and a rocket going off. And then we zoom out to realize it's just a bunch of little kids. It's these shitty kids who hang around this <laughs> science station. Yeah, they've always got their uh, their toy rocket that they're launching, which seems to screw up the experiments somehow. 
they're the kids from Yoshino Village, and like they're trying to shoot off these rockets, but they keep like they they don't have the formula right or something. I don't know. Yeah, they're fucking something up, and it doesn't fly off. And the professor, which is I think is Hayawaka, he he comes out and he yells at them like, "Get out of here, you damn kids!" And they they run off. And then there's this bicycle cop, uh, Yokoyama, who shows up. Who's quite a bit like, what was the dude in that last Gamera movie? Oh, um, you remember shit. the guy? I mean, right, the bicycle cop in that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It does. Now that I think about it, oh man, I can't remember exactly his deal, but this guy feels like a direct, uh, a direct reference to that guy. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Because that, that is before... No, that's after this. The camera... Oh! That camera movie is in the 70s. Oh, never mind that. Uh, this this wouldn't be a reference to that, then. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name. Yeah, I, I, like, it should be in my head because they say it so many times in the Mystery Science Theater episode on it. Because <laughs> they, they kept the name and it sounds strange there. Anyway, uh, Yokoyama is our bike cop. And... Uh, Professor Hayawaka's like, well, there's this local ice spring that has always produced ice cold water, and now it's like a hot spring now. I'm like, well, that's very troubling. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and they said, like, oh, it's happened before, like 80 years ago, this happened. Like, oh, that's odd. Why would that have happened previously? So I guess this monster's recurring, like, it I comes up every 80 so. years. Theoretically, or, yeah, theoretically, and it's been traveling to Mount Fuji. It's not super clear. We don't find out a lot about it. No, uh, the way this is taken care of, I'm not super a fan of this. This does have kind <laughs> of a Goro and Goro sort of feel to it. Mm. You know, it's it's oh, not yeah, unlike it's... Goro and his monkey. It's another forest mm. man. Yeah, the Tarzan boy. Yeah, Takara the Tarzan boy, who's Yokoyama is sort of there to tell them about, like, local Tarzan is the way he describes it. And he's like, I like that. Local Tarzan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Takaro, he's this guy who lives in the forest, and they don't really know what his deal is. Although there's this lady who's his sister who's looking for him, who knows his name is Takaru, And she's like, well, I'm not totally sure it's him. It's like, do you think there's a different Takaru who's missing in the forest? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And how long has Takeru been missing for? Because since he was a kid. Oh, so fifteen years. She finally. Okay. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> no, this is what I'm saying. There, there's certain holes in this one that make it kind of like Goron Goro. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, so. Yokoyama, everybody's been like giving him guff because nobody in the town will believe him about the eruptions. <laughs> that is like, no, volcanic activity's headed this way. I'm serious. I I know this scientist, and he's been telling me, and everybody's just been making fun of him. Yeah, nobody <laughs> believes me because I've been telling all these lies in the past, you see, such as. So, and he starts listing them. All right. Uh, so, Ipe is like, oh, I I mean, this volcanic eruption stuff, I don't believe it. I'm skeptical. Uh, the, the people are right to laugh at you, Yokoyama. But this Takeru local Tarzan guy, that's my kind of thing. I'm going to go find out about this guy. <laughs> so they go to talk to his sister, uh, Takeru's sister. 
Uh, she's like, yes, aged four, he disappeared chasing a butterfly on the edge of the forest. And that's been 15 years and we've never seen him since. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He, he's not really hiding. No, everybody knows about him. He keeps yeah. showing up. The The police have chased him all sorts of times. Yeah. Um... <laughs> what the fuck? Well, because like her story, she... the. They're interviewing her. He's like, okay, this guy took care of in the forest, this Tarzan. He started appearing recently. Uh, there were five hunters who just killed this really giant bear. And they were dragging it out. Uh, this this huge bear called the king. <laughs> which I guess this bear was the king of the forest and had raised him like Mowgli. And it, the bear was like Baloo. And now Takeru is oh. the king of the forest. Oh, yeah, he's got to look out for them. Bear necessities. They they do mention later that he's now the king of the forest, and that's why he can defeat Gorgos? Uh, Gorgos. I didn't catch the monster's name. I, I called him King Dodongo because he is... Yeah, he is completely King Dodongo, yeah. The second boss in uh, Ocarina of Time. He, he just a big rock with eyes. I kind of like him. <laughs> he's great. I love him. Uh, but yeah, he he attacked these hunters and wouldn't let them take the bear's corpse, and you know was crying over the corpse. So I guess he was raised by this bear. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so they're they're in the forest and they spot him, but he runs off, and the children are all very impressed by him. Like the children of the forest, they Takeru is the coolest. Of course, yeah. Uh, but Yokoyama he keeps on chasing him and he chases him to this waterfall and there's this big explosion and he thinks it's the eruption and I guess it sort of is as much as there is an eruption in this. Kind of, yeah. It's it's the bad rock that does the explosion. Yeah, the the pond starts bubbling. Big rock comes out. It flies through the air and it's got like this beating molten heart, which is really cool. The glowing red weak spot that you have to hit with your arrows. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's literally what they do. It is. <laughs> so we get Jun, he shows up. He he they needed a helicopter, so they hire Jun. He he comes with Yuri, and they're watching soldiers dynamite the rock. Uh but there's some weird silliness where like one of the annoying kids is like blowing a bubble. And the guy with the TNT detonator just keeps looking at the bubble, and it's like, oh yeah, the the like bubble gum. <laughs> it, <laughs> and then when it pops, it freaks out the TNT guy. Like it psychs him out, and he blows it up too soon, and there's danger, and it's like rocks falling on everybody. Yeah, like, it's like what are we doing? <laughs> Is this guy yeah, an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really comes of that though no he's just like looking at the bubble gum and then like the bubble gum pops and he is spooked and immediately hits the plunger and blows everything up it's like you blew it up too soon we weren't <laughs> ready anyway they collect all the pieces they put them in a dump truck and then they take it to a field and they just dump them all <laughs> solves that i suppose <laughs> all good and then that night, Takeru is in the forest and he hears this rumble and he watches as all the pieces reconstitute around the molten heart. And he, he realizes it's a monster. We get to see its eye open up and blink and it's like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, I really do like this monster. This might. This is one of my favorite ones. I love the way it waddles. Not unlike Baragon, <laughs> it's got kind of that little waddly dog feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what its breath does because it has this like spray of breath like it, it sprays white powder or something which seems like an yeah. ice spray but we don't really ever get any indication of what it does no we just know it's that never it effective. sprays it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah we yeah we don't see the aftermath of something getting sprayed yeah it sprays stuff but we don't we have no idea what uh effect it has mm -hmm. so takeru's foot gets trapped under a falling tree uh so he's trapped for a bit and he's gonna be there but uh Later, Yokoyama will save him. But first, we go see uh, our three people, Yuri, Ipe, and Jun, uh, start looking with the sister. They they go looking, and they see Gorgos. Mm -hmm. And Yakayama finds Takeru. He pulls the tree off. I think Takeru is supposed to have some sort of super strength. Right? I'm not sure. <laughs> That's the impression I get. He, he has I some mean, magical Jungle properties. Boys usually do. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, he is not unlike Link. He does feel like a forest Link character. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, he beats the boss by climbing up on its back and pulling out the pulsating weakness like Link would sometimes do with some bosses. I mean, it's not unlike a Shadow of the Colossus battle at the end. Oh, I gotta finish playing that. I've only <laughs> killed, like, one Colossus. Uh, I haven't played it since it was new. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> long, long time ago. Yeah, oh, yeah, that is an old game. So, uh, yeah, Yokoyama, he gets the tree off, and they hide in this cave. Well, Gorgos climbs over, which traps them. Like, a, a big boulder blocks the entrance. Yeah. I like Yokoyama's thing. It's like, well... We're trapped, so what we gotta do is take stock of everything that we've got available, and he pulls everything out of his pocket and is like, okay, I've got this match, <laughs> I've got this, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cute. Uh, if MacGyver was here. Right. He was like, oh, you know, we had... Uh, this is the sort of thing where maybe a paperclip could save us, but he doesn't really ever <laughs> figure anything out. No. Uh, but Takeru, he has super strength, I guess, because he just fucking moves the boulder that's blocking the entrance. He, like, strains at it, and then he just, like, sends it flying. Like, okay, <laughs> I guess he has super strength. I guess so. <laughs> because he's the king of the forest. So everybody meets up. Yakayama, he has his gun, so he tries to shoot Gorgos, which obviously does not work because he's a rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's... I mean... Guns versus kaiju doesn't really work at the best of times, but rock kaiju especially. He's just a straight-up big old rock. Uh, so Takeru takes the gun away from him and goes running after Gorgos. <laughs> and this is, like, it, it is Yuri's line, and I think she's right, because by being the main character, she's usually right. She says, don't worry, Takeru's the king of the forest. He'll win. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? If a kaiju boy had said it, we would take it at face value. It'd be like, okay, I guess he is the king of the forest. And to be fair, at this point, I suppose we should consider Yuri to be a uh, kaiju girl, because she's been involved in all of these. Good point. I mean, yeah. So uh, Takara jumps on uh, Gorgos' back, and he's riding him around like a bucking bronco. 
<laughs> I love it. I really like the figures of the figurine of Takeru on the back, much like the figurine of Goro being picked up by Goro. <laughs> uh, so he obviously he locates the heart. And as there are like eruptions starting and an avalanche comes down the mountain, uh, Takeru manages to crawl down into a crevice. I It's so funny to see Gorgos like flipping out and like rearing up on his <laughs> hind legs and he's like jumping on his back and trying to shake Takeru loose from the crevice. It's like, get out of yep. my butt. <laughs> <laughs> That's my weakness hole. <laughs> He's like rolling on his back and trying to crush him or get him off. But yeah, he, but it's not working and he's holding on. Yeah, he, he manages to extract the heart. He throws it up in the air and he shoots it with the pistol and it explodes. <laughs> and he just like comes back to the group. He gets them out of there before the avalanche comes down. And then they just, like, go back to town. He gets a haircut, and he's, like, not a forest man anymore. <laughs> yep, yeah, how he could be seamlessly integrated into society. This is going to be so easy, guys. Yeah, it's like a bunch of reporters mob him, and Yuri's like, hey, look bold. And he, like, puffs out his chest, and it's, it seems to cause <laughs> the rocket to fire. Like, the boys, right. they're firing off another rocket, and it fires, and it flies all the way to Mount Fuji somehow. And somehow. And that's how it ends, which, again, the ending, they it's not a full, like, it's sort of a fumble of an ending versus yeah. uh, last two. Like, I, I'd put it on the lower end with Goro and Goro, but definitely a return to form after whatever was going yeah. on with Grow Up Little Turtle. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's better than that one, but still not. Not the best that we've seen, although I really, really like this monster. Big fan of Gorgos. I really enjoy him as just big old rock. <laughs> and see if he shows up again ever. Yeah, he might. Because uh, he's pretty pretty firmly dead at the end, but... No, he's. I think he's only in that one. Aw. That's too bad. <laughs> uh... I guess no. He sh he was gonna show up in a later episode, but then they did not. Although uh -oh. there's a movie from let's see, a 2009 Ultraman movie where he's part of a combiner that he's a kaiju that is part of the neck of a much larger monster. Oh, like um, <laughs> like the Decepticons have that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a construct or a Voltron. Yeah, a Constructicon thing. Uh, Belludra. He's a part of his neck. So it's oh, just okay. like, I, I guess the in this Ultraman movie, this kaiju is just like all of the kaiju's that they fought through all of the Ultraman series. A uh, hundred of them all form wow. together into one monster. That's interesting. <laughs> Gorgos is one I of them. Man, that would be so cool. I would love to see if they could pull it off. That's interesting, yeah. So those are, uh, that's all we've got for our first part with uh, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals and uh, episode seven of Ultra Q. Do you have any last thoughts before we head on to part two? Uh, no, I, I can't think of anything else. I think we've covered it. All right, we'll head on to part two of the stacks. And we're back for part two, where we've got three more movies with some blood, some 
gore in these. We got a, we got a bit of we got a bit of blood in these. We got a bit of blood. We got a bit of gore. Uh, two of the three movies have sex in them. The th- the Iron Prefect, there is no sex. No sex. No, no sex love. allowed under fascism. No. Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, it, partly as we we hadn't really uh, decided on a theme month uh, prior to uh, <laughs> recording last week. so we, No, it just kind of happened. kind of happened, so it will probably be a bit more consistent going forward. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> the first up this week we've got, or second up or third up i don't know, count them but we've got uh, we got Pas- another one <laughs> pascal schittieri's uh iron prefect il prefetto de ferro uh this was is a new release or fairly recent release from radiance films uh also known as i am the law uh, <laughs> and that's <laughs> yeah, some fucking judge dread shit that is the judge dread one-liner like he he is the the i am the law guy there's yep. definitely some <laughs> I am uh, some uh, Judge Dread to this character. Oh, definitely, he is. He, he he definitely is one of those guys who puts the law above everything else. Yeah, and in some ways, it's noble because he's not that much a fan of the fascist party. He doesn't really like the fascists. It's just mm-hmm. he does kind of like. The power they give him. <laughs> he 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 doesn't yeah, it's like he doesn't care for the fascists, but he hates the mafia. Yeah, he and, really hates the mafia. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna use my absolute power to really fuck with the mafia. And it sorta works, sorta well, it, doesn't. It 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 starts to work, but the mafia uh is too smart for him. The the mafia outfoxes him. They become the fascists instead of. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a super complicated conspiracy, uh, and he doesn't exactly spell out the step by steps of it at the end. So you kind of have to have been paying attention to the shadowy cons- conspiracy guys uh, scenes because yeah, it... you do find out who all of them are, but it, they don't show you that this is this shadowy guy. You, you kind of have to figure it out. Yeah, it is important to pay attention in the movie. There, There's a lot of detail going on. It is in an actual historical drama. It is based on real stuff. It's based on real characters. The Cesar Mori uh, was this real guy, and he really did hate the mafia. But uh, his his distaste for the fascist party is invented for the movie. He was, yes. He, he, was, he, he was pretty pretty vocally a fan of the fascist party in real life mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah it's, i think it's more a distaste of this it, to me it feels at least it's a, more a distaste of this one particular fascist guy who leads the party and he kind of represents all the pomp and circumstance of the of the new party and he's like no i just want to enforce the law well, he wants fascist power. He he wants to use the power of the state, but it, it it's more than that because like he also sees as a character we're supposed to identify with him. So we are. He, he is kind of a heroic character. He is the main character. He, I mean, to his credit, he supposedly was not too keen on Hitler when Hitler came around and they were <laughs> they were kind of joining forces, the different fascists in Italy. 
yeah. or in in Europe, but um, it, it, the the character in the movie is meant to kind of be attractive. We're supposed to like him. We're supposed to more or less agree with him. And I don't feel like we probably would have agreed with the real character who is a popular fascist who was, (laughs) you know, died in the wool fascist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was actually called in real life, the iron prefect. So yeah, (laughs) it kind of gives you an idea of what sort of guy he was. Because he didn't like the mafia, and I, yeah. I uh, certainly the mafia in this era was, I mean, they they were just the fascist party operating without being in government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which made it very easy for them to become the party, uh, which is sort of the interesting sociopolitical element of this movie. I mean, them kind of softening this character is questionable in terms mm. of their uh their aims but i do like that it does feel like it's pushing back against the fascism of the other politiotesques that we've watched stuff like uh what was that one the last one we did oh um the big racket the big racket that one is sort of like these sort of feel like opposing viewpoints to a degree where this one is like it's it's like this is what fascist power does and this is the problems of the fascist party and the dangers of having this sort of government. Whereas uh, the big racket's like, wouldn't it be better if we were more fascist? <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it be better if cops could just execute people on site? Didn't they just like get the trains running on time? And I think there's <laughs> even like a reference to that in this where he oh, there is. Uh, makes a train stop and makes it late because he needs to get someone. No, no. Um, the guy at the t- he's trying to catch a train, but he's like, "Oh man, I'm worried that the train's going to go without me." Right. So the the Don is like, "Oh, I stopped the train for you, Prefect Mori." And Mori's like, "Dude, that is not what we do here." <laughs> right, making the trains run on time is uh, pretty key to uh, our whole uh, campaign. That's what we've always <laughs> said. It's the one thing that we do. Yeah, and. Uh, that guy gets shot of course <laughs> uh is we we start out on a train actually with this cool uh ballad the that's gonna recur throughout the film it's uh the ballad of prefect mori uh which i was thinking it's like this kind of feels morricone only to find out that it is right indeed this is a morricone movie uh but yeah this, this is a morricone i mean morricone man yeah what a what a prolific <laughs> composer uh, if you're watching an italian movie and it kind of sounds like a morricone there's a decent chance it is the man made so many fucking scores yeah um yeah i didn't realize it until my second watching and then i looked at the credits i was like hey that's what probably why i kind of thought like this felt like a spaghetti western sometimes maybe uh so let's see he had he composed for 532 he has 532 composer credits on imdb <laughs> oh <my> god <laughs> yeah wow and he just active for such a long period of time too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i think it was like just within the last decade or so that i uh, that he got a lifetime achievement oscar or maybe it was longer than that now time is uh all over the place for me these days but it wasn't it was in my lifetime yeah it felt recent 
Uh, probably. I mean, he. Uh, I don't know. It's not. I I don't know how to find this. Uh, this these uh, let's people. not worry about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, shit. <laughs> you know, I think I think you told me that number that he did like five hundred of these last time we did a move that he did, and I was surprised then too. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, because I, 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 like he was still sort of doing stuff like uh, the hateful eight score is him right yeah so that's yeah, like 2016 that's... so he's still like active up to then mm -hmm. that might be what i was thinking of actually uh but yeah the it's a really cool song about how oh prefect mori mussolini said that to put the basically it's a song about how Mussolini is telling him to put all the mafia in prison because they suck and he's sick of their shit and he wants to be the only guy in power. But but the yeah. song tells us at the beginning, like, Prefect Mori doesn't know that he's playing into the games of the people in power. Right. So, like, uh, the, the the Mussolini thing is interesting that he's, he wants, like, he doesn't, he's not going after the mafia because of the conditions or anything. He's not going after the mafia to help the people in any sort of way. Oh no. <laughs> it's, it's this issue of, well, the mafia have this power and I want all the power. I don't want to share <laughs> any of it. Yeah. And some people are choosing to side with the mafia over me. I don't want them to have the option. Right. Exactly. It's like the mafia is a competing party. And like, mm. no, no, we don't have other parties under fascism. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so go take care of those guys, and I give you all the power that you need. Yeah, just uh, you have the power of the state, which is ultimate. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the only people who are not a part of it are the people you're fighting. Yep. Yeah, well, some of the people you're fighting. <laughs> the people you're fighting, and the people who are under their thumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's uh, his he's assigned to Palermo. Uh, I think a state or a town in Sicily. Yeah. Where he's, where, yeah, he's, he's got to get, the mafia basically runs the entire island at this point, and he's got to get them out of there. Right. Because, uh, like, at this point in time, uh, the, the mob has been uh, pretty heavily uh, a part of culture. You know, they, they, they sort of run, like, Sicily, especially. Where it's their major stronghold. So Palermo is like the northern tip of Sicily. So it's right. like the, the, the sort of a, an, a good point to start kind of moving in. But like they have a complete stronghold on the whole place, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all the people, like nobody will talk to the cops because they're all afraid of the mafia. So Maury's thing is like, well, we need to get them to fear us more than they fear the mafia. And then they'll help us out. Right. Uh, which, yeah, it sounds like a pretty fascist thing. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> of course. So the, the mafia began in Sicily, specifically. So oh, right. That, that's kind of how, and the, the term mafia is like from Sicily. Uh, okay. But really only started in the early 19th century. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought for sure it'd be it would have been going on a lot longer than that mm -hmm. 
I mean, especially since we've got the Yakuza has been around since at least the 1600s and probably a lot longer than that. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's not clear how long they've been around, but they, like, the, the Wikipedia history uh, suggests something mid-19th century, so like 1860s sort of thing. Wow. Which is not as long as you'd figure, but they no. clearly have a complete stranglehold on it by this point in the 20s. They worked very fast then. but I mean, it's yes. easier to create a big racket uh, mm. such as they had uh, in that day. That's true. That's true. And uh, they, they didn't have to worry about uh, cops with Gatling guns and shit back then either. Yeah. So he, go, he comes up to this house uh, where somebody is actually willing to talk to him a little bit. And he mentions basically about how this... So a lot of the plot revolves around this kind of a land deal that's a little sketchy. They sold it to this hatter who's not really sane and he's in a mental hospital. And my understanding is that this whole plot was basically... Uh, this The leader of the fascist party in this area, Gali, uh, I think he was also was or is working with a mafia guy and like this whole thing is just take the land from the hands of one mafia and then put it into the hands of another person's mafia but legally i think yeah this galley guy he's a lawyer uh and he he's just been working like he's pretty high up in the sicilian fascist party Mm -hmm. and most of this is just political maneuverings that he's sort of a chip in. Yeah. Uh, like, obviously, he does genuinely want to attack the mafia, and Mussolini does want him to get the mafia under his boot. Yeah. But most of this is just all politics. Like, he doesn't realize that everything that's going on is politics. Like, the reason Mussolini wants him to go after the mafia is for propaganda purposes, because it'll look yeah. really good if the fascist party defeats the mafia like that's that's a big propaganda coup oh yeah it's huge um like that's why he that's the whole reason why he has cops handing out all the relief supplies it's like hey look what the fascists are giving you yeah we're we're delivering medicine which as i mentioned is something that kind of is a brilliant idea in the 20s and would be disastrous in the 2020s oh my god yes <laughs> can you imagine a 2020s american cop handing out anything other than death to anyone well i just think of how often you see person shot in head during wellness check like yeah you just multiply that by thousands uh bad idea but you know then it's a real genius idea because it's real hearts and minds stuff but Mm -hmm. you know now that's that's a war thing that's what america was trying to do in vietnam (laughs) yeah (laughs) you don't want cops doing that locally no, no. Yeah, so it, it's going to take him a very, very long time to put together this plot about the Hatter. Uh, it took me two watches of the movie to put it together. Mm. So we, when he finally gets to Palermo, uh, he, he's got the stats for all the crimes of the last year. We've got 278 murders, 312 robberies, 59 extortions, uh 65 thefts of livestock and 18 kidnappings and he's like uh well but it's rounded down because these are just the ones that are reported so i want to basically get all of this shit out yeah 
And the prosecutor and all that is like, okay, so do you want us to give you the authority to like make out your own decisions? And he's like, no, dude, I already have that. Uh, yeah. I want you to listen to me. Yeah. Uh, we've got our first scene of the shadowy conspiracy guys who I really like all the different ways that they obscure these people's faces uh, that you can kind of see them and tell that they're people who are going to show up later on. And that's kind of where I got confused because I didn't know that I needed to listen to the specific stuff they're talking about. Hmm. I thought it was all like generic, like, oh yeah, we're two steps ahead of the prosecutor and all that. And, you know, I thought it was just generic bad guy talk, but no, they're giving important plot details here. Yeah, usually this stuff is plot. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, 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 it didn't click the first time, and I don't know why. Hmm. The person who talked to him about the Hatter was immediately killed, and his family was all murdered and just yeah. left Every naked. Yeah, the the mafia immediately takes reprisals and kills the whole family because that's what you do when you're the mafia. Mm. Uh, e even if you're against the fascists, the, the fascists uh, like they will kill you back. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to kill entire families right now. I mean, that's not what they're doing yet. The yeah, Italian no, fascism didn't really go that way. It's that's more uh, the the Nazism, but. Uh, and you know the the Russian version of whatever was going yeah. on at this time, the Stalinism. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was a lot of killing. Where, but you know, if you were a criminal organization, you can just do the scorched earth thing against people, and that that's how you keep rule. That's that's mm -hmm. why the mafia is hard for them to defeat. Yeah. And Maury tells the prosecutor, he's like, all right, I know who did this. Draft up a warrant for him right now. And prosecutor's like, well, dude, we have zero evidence. And he's like, did you not hear what I just said about being the guy in charge? Just do it. Yeah, I I know who did it. So give me a, a warrant to arrest him because I, I don't care about due process. What, what yeah. does that matter? We're <laughs> I was fascists, because, remember? Yeah. yeah, due process is whatever the guy in charge says it is. So he gets his warrant and he goes over to the guy. This is the guy who stopped the train. And he basically calls him out. He's like, come out and face me like a man uh, outside of his house. And we've got like the cool poster art with him standing there with the rifle. Mm -hmm. And the dude, uh, the dude takes a shot and Maury just shoots him right in the head. He's like, all right, that's done. Yeah. So this is Antonio Capasalatro. Mm hmm. Uh, who I think is a real dude, probably. Oh. I mean, okay. I would assume so. This I mean, is based see, yeah. on real facts. Yeah, yeah. And it does seem to be, from the Wikipedia article at least, it seems to be pretty close to how it went down, mostly, more or less. Mm. Well, nothing really comes up for this guy's name, just stuff for the movie, so maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, I mean, it presumably based on some sort of real figure, something similar to that. Probably. But the pushback for that is severe because immediately after that uh the wives of all of cap oh fuck i'm gonna screw it up capsulatro's men they all come up to maury's wife and it's like your husband put our husbands in jail and basically you're just going after his wife so he's like okay you got to get back to wherever we're from because they're going to use you to get to me mm -hmm. so that is the last we see of his wife Yep, he he sends her away because uh, yeah, it's a great power, great responsibility thing. You know, Mary Jane, mm -hmm. 
campy yeah, here. It's exactly that, yeah. Uh, the guy who played uh, Capasolatro, he's in one of the knockoff Emmanuel movies that's not quite in the series. Oh, or no, maybe I, no. It is part of the, it's in the box. It's a uh, Sister Emmanuel, which is a black exploitation nun exploitation oh, Emmanuel movie, <laughs> where she becomes a nun. Uh, and yeah, Capasolatro, he's in that. Hmm, cool. <laughs> After he deals with Capisolatro, he's got his first meeting with Gali from the fascist party. Gali's doing the whole thing, like trying to butter him up. He's like, hey, I notice you don't have a fascist pin. Here, here, you could wear this. Be a proud fascist. And Mora's like, dude, I don't need to advertise that I'm a fascist. You either are or you aren't, and I am. It reminds me a lot of uh, the, the badges that they had to wear in uh, War of the Worlds Next Century. Oh, yeah. Which you know, obviously is riffing on this. It's yeah. from you know, it's from fascist to <laughs> exactly. viewpoint post-fascism, post-Stalinism specifically there, but you know, kind of all flavors of the same uh, shitty thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I was immediately thinking of and like, oh, you, you want to proudly wear your uh, emblem of friendship? Oh, that's yeah, that's what it was called—the emblem of friendship. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, basically, like, yeah, I don't need that. I'm the prefect. Well, his thing, like, in this movie, his character is supposed to be not super into the actual fascist party. So it's like, eh, I don't want to advertise that. That's fine. Like, yeah. hey, look, people know that I'm a figurehead of fascism, so we'll just leave it at that. How about that? I don't need to wear your pen. That's cool. But mm. it, it, clearly in this film, it's a thing where he's not a fan of it. Like, it's it's yeah. a thing where he isn't into it, and it's a... A struggle he has, even though he's clearly really into having the fascist power. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, I think it's like, I just want to enforce the law. I don't want to deal with the politics of it. Yeah. Although the politics of it is what gets him. Well, I mean, it's like Nixon being into uh, foreign policy. And it's like, I don't really care about any other element of being president, but I, I want to play the foreign policy game. Right. Yeah. Whatever with the rest of this shit. <laughs> uh, but he does mention something interesting to Gali that a lot of the criminals have been uh, joining the fascist party for promises of a free, clean criminal record. Which, mm. uh, yeah, which uh, interesting. We got a big zoom up of Gali's face and like a noticeable big twitch when he says that. And Maury's like, You don't know anything about that, do you? And he's like, no, I definitely don't. I don't know anyone in Congress who needed a presidential pardon. Just yeah, like, just oh, to be sure, fuck. just to be safe. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's a very similar thing. Like, th that is the thing that I found most interesting about the movie is how well it echoes with modern politics. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah, it's just been totally infiltrated by grifters. And uh, <laughs> the, the, they realized that this party was weak and was crumbling and, and had these like all you have to do is pay lip service to some sort of thing and then you're allowed to grift anyone you want it's like well hell I, we can join up with them We're, any criminal can just join up and say like oh yeah we totally believe in that stuff i'm gonna wear this pen <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah let me just put on my ak-47 pin and we'll <laughs> let me get my red hat yeah uh, 
So we established that Gali, pretty early on, not a trustworthy dude. Yeah. We have uh, Mori talking to the head doctor guy. I think that's what he is. And he's like, you know, I've heard that criminology or criminality is caused by all kinds of things like bad education, uh, bad healthcare. He lists off all this stuff. And he's like, so why don't you just fix the healthcare in this province? And he's like, I don't have the doctors to do that. I'm like, well, you will, because I'm I am the fascist party. I, I am the I, law. I yeah, I represent uh, the the fist of Mussolini. So uh, mm-hmm. we we can have that stuff. That is what I'm talking about in terms of the hearts and minds thing is him not using the fascism to do something useful and something good. Him kind of using the power like, well, if we eliminate the sources of criminality with education and healthcare and, you know, food and people not being starving, that's kind of a good way to go about it through social programs, which isn't really a thing that any fascist group has ever had any much interest in doing (laughs) yeah um although it's interesting it made me think way back to uh the communist revolution in cuba with lucia how they were mandating people learning how to read right right exactly but that's not fascism yeah that's not exactly fascism that sort of becomes a weird sort of in between place where it is a military dictatorship yeah yeah, true yeah so this is where he has his plan to have the cops hand out all the relief supplies to all the people Mm -hmm. and uh the this at first the sicilians they're not into it they're like we don't need handouts for the fascist government we have we have all the food and all the wine and all the supplies we need uh the main lady the the lady, yeah, her name is Anna. She's like the main vocal, uh, vocal person of the people who's against Mori. Yeah, Anna Teresi, played by Claudia Cardinale, who's a legend. Uh, she's in so many classic Italian movies. I feel like I've seen her before. I may have. I've seen her in tons and tons of things, so it's hard to say. Uh, she's in Fellini's Eight and a Half is total fucking classic cool uh she's in fitzcarraldo the werner herzog movie oh uh, we gotta get into herzog again more herzog she's in yeah. once upon a time in the west which is the leone western that's not on blu-ray yet it's like oh. the last one he did the big huge sweeping one with bronson as this guy called harmonica oh cool she's a uh, major character in that Nice, nice. Yeah, she is against Mori pretty much the entire step of the way, even though her family is under the thumb of the Sicilians. And she kind of represents everybody in that regard. Yeah, she supports them because they they've been there already, and she doesn't trust the fascists with pretty good reason. <laughs> pretty good reason. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the mafia they do all this shit, but you guys are fascists. You do a bunch of other shit. But the thing is, the the term didn't have the connotation that no, it, it did didn't. then. That was... you know, that is a thing that they keep talking about. That is very interesting in the context of the movie. Is there was like, well, we're proud fascists. I mean, well, the fascist party will do this because this is the party that created the term. <laughs> so you look back and it's like they didn't know that they were the baddies, and yeah, it, it is that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's it's something that comes through 
or something that you are always thinking about in 2022, but in 1922, it's just a, another name of a party. Yeah, that's just the name of their party. Although, you know, they they are known for ruling with an iron fist and taking everything over. Yeah. That's, that's sort of how it works. <laughs> and they just sent a guy whose nickname is the Iron Prefect over to him. So. Sure, but th- that's authoritarian like that's cool if you're an authoritarian that that's like oh yeah i mean our guy's the iron prefect yeah but if you're if you're like a sicilian villager the i mean the don even says right. to one of the guys yeah. it's like yeah the iron prefect's coming and he's gonna kill all of you yeah at one point uh so they butt heads throughout the film uh anna and maury for most of the rest of it in like Never. any other version of uh, Poliziotesky, they would be a couple, like it would be a will they, won't they kind of romance. I was waiting for it, and I was like, yeah. man, don't do that in this movie. And they no, didn't. they don't. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's not about that, but she's yeah. she sort of represents the hearts and minds that don't want to be one. They're like, no, mm-hmm. we don't want to uh, become a part of this party. Yeah, yeah, like the, the way things are now kind of sucks, but it's the way that we know. We get introduced to Francisco Dino, who is one of the people in the big conspiracy with the Hatter and the Land, and he's harassing uh, Carmelo, uh, one of the farmers on this land that he kind of illegally owns through a conspiracy. Because like Carmelo's like, you guys aren't paying our workers at all, and we kind of want to, kind of need money. And he's like, no, you. Just do work for us, and then we'll see about paying you. Right. I don't really get. <laughs> I I don't get the <laughs> system there because it, no. it, it it's it feels like they're trying to reinstitute like a feudal system. That, uh, yeah. Which I like. I don't really get. I I guess that's sort of supposed to be how they're portraying the mafia as working in Sicily at the time, and I mean the mafia as we found wasn't that old so you know maybe yeah, they I don't know they've been doing this for like 50 years they've been doing this for like a generation and a half i don't know maybe people are still like i don't know this seems like bullshit why should i work for you for free but yeah. then why would anyone work for them for free like i know obviously they would use violence and intimidation but you do still need the workers to be there the next year to do this stuff for you yeah, exactly. to make things run. So I don't quite understand the end game or how this is supposed to work. I kind of feel like maybe it's just not entirely good historical writing. Could <laughs> be. Yeah. The, the real reason that we're seeing this scene is because as soon as he intimidates this farmer, him and his gang ride off, but we found out that Maury has been using field telephones, which is like brand new technology to stay yeah. ahead of the mafia. That's like, kind of cool. Yeah. Right, because like, this is this is right in between the two world wars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, the mafia guys are like, how the hell could they have possibly known we'd be here? Somebody talked. And he's like, field telephones. <laughs> yeah, I do like that the, they're all suspicious that uh now that there's a that there's a mole in them, but mm-hmm. they just have higher tech. Yeah, which uh is gonna be a th- theme for the fascists for the next uh, century or so at yeah least. <laughs> yeah so he he gets caught and he and he's like oh i uh i didn't know you all were cops that's why we opened fire and did a whole shootout yeah that's yeah. it yeah 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 um his partner maury's partner spano who i haven't mentioned because he had these 
it doesn't do a whole lot, but uh, he goes to investigate this whole Hatter thread and finds out that the Hatter is mentally unwell and he's basically being held captive at this hospital. Yeah. Uh, he is the owner of this land uh, that Carmelo's supposed to be working on, but he's not really in charge of it. He's like, no, no, the administrator takes care of the land. I'm just here. Well, yeah, because he's he's just sort of been put away. They like again, they're using the sanity issue as a as a way to steal the land. Mm-hmm. But I mean, none of it really matters that much. Like eventually, we do get to the end, and is like, well, this was the thing. But yeah. each individual piece, it's like whatever along the way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the. Most of the movie is actually the siege of this town called uh, Gangi or Gangi. Yeah, Gangi, uh, like uh, how M- Maybe calls her <laughs> grandma on Arrested Development. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, it's it's like this town on a hill that kind of looks like a fortress, and all these different gangs of criminals are holed up there. It, it kind of seems like maybe this is sort of this ancient town and it is just all built into a mountain and just it, it, the whole mountain is town mm-hmm. um it, it was the sort of ancient city that I, I think the name gang maybe even comes from it because oh shit it's the place all of these gangs are hiding out and they they kind of have all these this whole hidden underground there that would be interesting i never thought about that yeah, that's I could see that being the origin of the name. One of the things that they have there in present day is the Museum of Death with the Crypt of the Mummies of Gangi. Oh, I I haven't heard about this. What is that? Uh the crypts of the priests in the basement oh. of the San Nicolo Church. 100 standing mummified bodies of clergymen in death masks. Oh wow. Okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, there's an Escher drawing of it. Oh, oh boy. Oh, I have to. That's I have to look this up when we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the reason why the mafia wasn't warned about the siege is because Maury arrested all the farmers be- because he's like, I don't want you to even be able to warn them that we're coming. We know that you're going to be complicit in this, and technically, this makes you accomplices. Well, it's it's the fascist thing that he can do is like, well, yeah. the I don't want this to get out, so let's just arrest everybody. We'll arrest all of them. Most of them are probably innocent, and that doesn't matter. We'll just let them go when we're done, but that way it doesn't get out. It's yeah. the arrest all men over forty thing that they wanted to do oh, in Bloodfield. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know? yep. Uh, but but he does it. Yeah, he does it because he's the Iron Prefect and he can do it. Yep. And then they just fucking lay siege to Gangi. Yeah, it's over almost immediately because Maury's like, all right, well, I can break this siege instantly. Uh, turn off their water. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long. And <laughs> no. immediately, like, you see that woman go to, to the, the Don, Don Caligero Albanese, who's uh, their main Don yeah. for this town. And he has been on the run for decades. Mm-hmm. 40 years or something he's been a fugitive? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, okay, they've turned off the water, and they're going to come and kill us. And Don's like, well, don't worry, I'll send my three nephews. He'll, they'll get the water running, 
and the three nephews are of course arrested off screen it happens so <laughs> immediately <quickly. laughs> they, they get sent out and they get arrested because they're completely surrounded and there's yeah. nothing they could do and it's like well fuck i guess i surrender then and he goes and surrenders and he kills himself <laughs> yeah he's like no no just just kill me don't uh don't let me die to jail cell anymore he's like no i'm no. gonna parade you around in chains to show everyone else what happens when you defy us and now i'm just gonna leave you alone in a room with a gun nothing strange is gonna happen i imagine yeah. like it, it is that sort of like they're they're I can't remember which cop movie it is. Or no, isn't it in Nixon where where he says that? It's like, oh, maybe. This is, this is the scene where you like would no, this is the part where you leave a gun with me and walk into the other room. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't leave a gun with him, and no. Albanese has to bash his head into a wall. It's pretty brutal. He just yeah. hits and hits and hits until he dies. Yeah, it's harsh. And then he gets the mayor to draw up a map of all the secret hidden tunnels, and they just start going into the tunnels and smoking everybody out. Yeah, they're just rooting everybody out of there. They're, they're, there's tons of tunnels. Yeah, I mean, th this their... would be a great town for tunnels. Oh, yeah. But they got their cops with their pickaxes and their torches and their guns. It, Yeah, th this town falls, like, instantly. Yeah. And Maury's like, all right, well... That worked out great. I, I love the bit with the, the reporters coming in for the photo op. They find a corpse and prop him on a chair. And then they <laughs> grab some random soldier and like, here, stand next to this corpse with a gun. And they're like, oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so Maury's like, well, now, now we have to go after the gentleman. And he's referring, of course, to like the people higher up the conspiracy chain. Uh, right. The, the barons, got... the politicians. We got to follow the money, which immediately that's going to be a problem. Yeah. You can't really follow the money because the people with the money, they, they're in the party. <laughs> yeah, but he tries to anyway. Yeah. Uh, and the guys are all like, you are going to regret this. We have friends in Rome. You're fucked. And he's like, I don't think so. I'm the Iron Prefect. Yeah. But uh, turns out... <laughs> the the district attorney says to him it's like yeah it turns out the government wanted more smoke and less fire if you catch my drift yeah um, like you're starting to scare some people who are involved and who are in the government and like you don't want to go after people in the party and it's like well i want to root out the mafia it's like yeah but the mafia that's part of the party they're they're kind of with us though <laughs> yeah he's like but rule of law mm -mm, rule of fascism well yeah you, you don't understand law doesn't beat fascism fascist law is a tool of fascism you understand yeah. he's like oh well i don't like that i i want i want the law to be <laughs> i want the law absolute. To be absolute yeah, yeah I'm like oh well i mean that's you don't understand i don't think <laughs> yeah and then He's going over the books, and somebody's like, hey, that Hatter that we've kind of sort of been following, uh, he finally croaked. In his last will and testament, he left the land to Galli, the fascist right. leader. And that's when Maury pieces it all together and figures like, oh, God. Yeah, it was all a scam. Yeah. It was a land grab. Th this is like Chinatown. <laughs> He's got like his hand over his face. It, it reminds me of that movie with hitler that all the memes came from in the Downfall. early 2000s yeah like that but he doesn't shoot himself mm. he's like oh my god so 
I didn't, I feel like a surgeon who left a job unfinished. I didn't hear anything. I didn't fix anyone. I just heard a bunch of people. Yeah. And, you know, there's this whole big parade where they celebrate him and he's like, it's like, we're going to send you to Rome. You're going to be a senator. And you know who's going to take your place as the prefect in Palermo is Galli. And he's great. like, great. Perfect. Great. Yeah, really this happy. Is... But of course, in, in reality, the guy was just, he was a big supporter of the party. So it was yes. all good. <laughs> it was all gravy. He, he was a big success. This was a media coup. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the... That's the Iron Prefect. We close out with the ballad again, which, oh man, is a rad song. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty good movie. I, I liked it quite a bit. Yeah, uh, I, I was expecting, <laughs> when you called it a Policio Teschi, I was expecting for some reason more like, like a 1920s version of Highway Racer somehow. Mm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this kind of feels like a cross between a police That's drama. It's a historical and a, drama. Yeah, like like it has some spaghetti western elements in it because uh, the cops still kind of look like civil war era cops and use a lot of that technology mm -hmm. but also it, it's interesting i like it it's kind of like a a blending of time periods which is what that time was mm -hmm. yeah well, good movie good movie so our additional next film uh, is indeed 1991 Stephen shin movie black cat which is a Hong Kong action movie, but mostly made in Vancouver. Uh, I, I don't think any of it's supposed to be set in Vancouver. No, it's meant to be set in New York, uh, upstate New York, I think, but it is very much the lower mainland. Uh, it is, for all intents and purposes, a remake of La Femme Nikita, the Luc Besson uh, 90s French action movie. It was like a huge, huge fucking hit. Uh, they, I haven't seen it that. was. It was supposed to be an official remake, but then they couldn't get the rights because Disney bought the rights and then they'd remade it. Mm. Uh, okay. Uh, I can't remember. The Disney remake was Point of No Return with uh, with Bridget Fonda. Oh, I haven't I, seen that either. I haven't seen it. The, the original La Femme Nikita is fun. It's the same plot as this. Mm, okay. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they, they couldn't get actual rights, so it wasn't they they changed the name they they changed some basic details but it is for all intents and purposes a remake of la femme nikita uh i love the vancouver locations at the start this is my favorite thing about the movie actually yeah like i, I kind of wish they just made it made it take place in vancouver and just skip the pretense i mean the last half hour in hong kong is my least favorite stuff i i i agree with you uh, I found that the movie became less and less interesting as it progressed. Every scene was a little less cool than the last one. I mean, I enjoyed most of the first hour pretty well. I, like, I don't dislike the the last third of it. I, I enjoyed this movie overall. It's just uh, the the romance plot just mm. becomes it's so anodyne. There's nothing of interest in it. It's just and the it, same. Like. And it's just this boring guy that yeah, she randomly hijacks, falls in love with for no apparent reason. And the romance plot hijacks almost the entire movie. Yeah, I mean, it, their her plot line with him becomes totally important to everything, and it's the it's how the movie ends. Yeah, and like I I wanted her arc. I don't care about this dude. Yeah, like oh, <laughs> I agree. Um, I I was waiting. Like I was like, please be an enemy agent or 
or something like that or like just a really observant photographer who noticed her and notices that something's up with her or even just be like a random unrelated serial killer but he's none of these things he's just there's there's really nothing to him he's very boring he's i mean he's a nice guy uh he 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 runs a bird sanctuary and he really cares about birds and he's totally sweet uh but he's boring he's uninteresting yeah (laughs) i don't care she like immediately wants to leave her life behind to be with this guy although to be fair she's kind of got imprisoned into that life in the first place yeah she never really chose to be in this life uh so the, the, at the start she is uh this lady who is working as a waitress in i don't know where that's supposed to be this feels like it's alaska or something she's <laughs> in some remote truck stop but it's obviously vancouver like yeah the, you see the Rockies in the background. You see that quality of light. I mean, like, I've been on this road. I may have been to this truck stop. <laughs> totally. Uh, you know, this is upstate New York. We see sure. the freeway signs. <laughs> and this guy, definitely a New York trucker and not a oh, Canadian yeah. trying to do a New York accent. It's it's a very strange accent. I don't really know what he was trying to do. It feels uh, like Tommy Wiseau. It's, it's Wiseau-esque and... He is really aggressive to her, and she seems like I don't know if she's supposed to be mentally ill right from the beginning. Uh, it's hard to say because so so the uh, the sexual harassment slash shootout uh, it just it's bonkers. It's it it keeps escalating very it's ridiculously. So crazy! So, like this trucker guy shows up. Uh, long day on the road, whatever. He grabs her boob. It's like, oh yeah, you can serve me something good, or you know, some other gross thing. She stabs him with a fork. The manager fires her, and then he tries to hire. Like outside, the guy, the trucker, wants to hire her as a prostitute. Yeah, and she seems to agree at first, and he like pushes her down to give a blowjob, and then she bites him and. It just turns into a crazy fucking brawl. She throws, yeah. like, she gets thrown through the fucking window. Yeah, yeah. The the diner owner comes out with a gun, and he's like, "All right, put it down." And like, the guy knocks out the diner owner. She grabs the gun. First, she has to stab the guy in the chest with a big shard of glass. There's a lot right, more people he, being thrown around, and he's he like ends up dead on top of her and she has the gun and then when the police show up they take the guy off her and she's still high on adrenaline and she fucking blows the cop away it was i was laughing oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm like um ma'am aside from the fight everything else that happens to you here you did yourself when you shot the cop yeah, a lot of this is her own fault. But this is why I say I think she's supposed to be mentally ill from the beginning, I that there is some sort of problem that she has. do kind of feel that way, but the movie doesn't her, make it clear. We have no clue to her past, but it seems very mysterious. She's obviously originally from Hong Kong. I don't know why she's working in this diner, where she seems very out of place and yeah. very angry and very upset to be there. And she doesn't really seem to know the area or any of the people. I don't know. It's 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 a strange situation that she's in, but obviously she is charged with murdering a cop. It's a media circus. Yeah, uh, she 
gets put into prison. Nobody treats her good. There's this uh, huge, angry female cop who beats the fuck out of her. Mm. Uh, and then she but turns she, the tables she, she and turns beats the up tables her. And beats her up with her own club and yeah. runs out of the prison. Yeah, she she's good at escaping. She gets a couple escapes in, and then when she's on her way to trial, she's she suddenly is like, "I have to pee! I have yeah. to pee! I have to pee right now!" And I was like, <laughs> "Oh, okay." And they they let her go to the bathroom, and there was like an assassin waiting for her. Yeah, the assassin thing doesn't. Make I don't know sense. what this is about <laughs> because. This is why I think there is some sort of past that we're supposed to be told about that never ends up coming up. Maybe it's because it's La Femme Nikita and that originally she's supposed to be a sleeper agent. uh, And then they just didn't write it that way ultimately and they didn't rewrite it enough. Basically, yeah. Because, yeah, there is an assassin for some reason. She obviously gets the gun away and she escapes. She escapes, but then she is stopped by a different assassin in a vehicle. Yeah, she she's uh, she's snipered in, in what is obviously a Vancouver alleyway, like the oh, yeah. most Vancouver alleyway <laughs> you could imagine. Yep. And it's like, yeah. oh, we're on East Hastings in New York, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So they do the whole $6 million man thing, and they rebuild her with a microchip in her brain. They take her to Weapon X. Yep. I mean, it's in Canada, so she's, like, there with Wolverine and Deadpool. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what's her name? The girl from the second one or maybe third one? It doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The third one is not out yet. The third one's coming. Like, the trailer for that just dropped. Oh, I'm thinking the third. Man, there's so many X-Men movies. I'm thinking, like, X-Men 3. Uh, which uh i've never seen it that's okay you don't have to (laughs) (laughs) keep it the brett ratner one oh man that one was oh my god now all these memories of x-men 3 is coming into my head and i need to not have those memories (laughs) the last stand yeah i've never seen it but uh yeah so she's in she's in the fucking weapon x program they put a microchip in her brain to control her yeah, uh, which again, this is all La Femme Nikita stuff. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that story, or not super familiar. I just know she's a lady who kills people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she's got this handler who we're much, much later going to learn that this guy's name is supposedly Brian. Yeah, and yeah, he's basically like, okay, I'm the one in charge of all your shit. Uh, I brought you here. I put the microchip in your brain, and she gets his gun out and shoots him. <laughs> Because that's what she does. <laughs> right. She tries to shoot him in the head, but of course, uh, it, it it's a test. There's so many... Like, this is one of the problems of this movie is, yes. like, for this 45 minutes or so, there, there is no reality. There's no baseline reality. Any time... Like, they could just pull the carpet out and, like, it was all a test. It was all a simulation. Oh, we were all just messing with you. Yeah, yeah. So... It destabilizes the entire movie because at any point, you're like, well... Is this actually happening? (laughs) (laughs) But the point of the movie doesn't become to like, it's not cool the way uh, Point Blank does it. Uh, No. (laughs) No, like I say, it destabilizes the movie in a way that it's not supposed to. Yes. Like, this is a movie where we're supposed to, like, we are supposed to be shocked when things turn out to be fake. But the problem is that it, makes none of the reality impactful 
because anything could be fake. And anytime yeah. something happens, you're like, I don't think so. He was like, I'm just going to wait for the other shoe to drop and this to be fake again. And you're usually right. <laughs> usually. Well, yeah. So the first time they do it, they're they're on an airplane and she has to assassinate this woman who's fucking dressed like Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, it's, it looks, it's, it's, yeah, she is an old lady. I, yeah. I don't think it. I when When she talks, I think they dub in a man's voice, too. Well, it is supposed to be a guy dressed up as a yeah. lady. Yeah. Um, she hesitates to shoot him, and he pulls out this machine gun and shoots up the airplane, and it explodes, and everybody dies, but it was a VR mission, so it's okay. It was just a VR mission. She's like, this is why you have to kill people when we say to kill people. And I would, like, there, there's a couple problems with this. One, yeah. like I said, this instantly destabilizes the entire movie, because they do this a couple times. The next one is also a VR mission. Like, the very it, next one. It's a long, long rollout for it mm -hmm. to be a, a VR mission, too, which really, really destabilizes the movie. But the, the other part is that if, like, she would have known she was in a VR mission in that first one. Why didn't she just shoot the lady because it's fake? I don't know. <laughs> There's but... no explanation. That's why it's, it is only to fool the audience. They yeah. didn't. They, they, it is a problem with the movie where they are focused on tricking the audience to the extent that it stops working. Like, also, this guy would have said to her, like, hey, the person you're going to be assassinated is dressed up like the queen, but don't be concerned, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, like, I guess that's a problem, is that they don't bother to tell her anything, ever. Maybe. No, we she, never find they out just keep who not she's telling supposed things to kill or to why. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, kill this person. All right. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the, the idea is to prep her so that she's never going to necessarily know why. But yeah. that just seems stupid. It does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there's uh, so The next mission is uh, crashing the wedding when they're driving the Ferrari through the lower mainland. Oh, they're they're driving up to Chilliwack. They're they're <laughs> hanging out in Surrey. I think that's where the we the wedding is. It's either Chilliwack or Surrey. I think so. And it's like, okay, you're gonna kill the bride, and then there's gonna be a car waiting for you at the other end of the forest, and that's how you're gonna get away. Right, and of course, the car ends up not working. It's quite. It it reminded me of the Oregonian. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Find this random car in a field. It's I'm a like, Porsche. Oh, it's not starting up. Yeah, it's just a. Well, of course it's a Porsche because cool hot cars, La Femme Nikita. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's like this big gunfight, and then she has to escape, but the car won't start. They shoot the gas tank, so she jumps out of the car. It's exploding. She falls into a river. She's walking down the road, and then she sees the handler guy there, and it's like, guess what? You passed another test. I'm like, haha, you passed the test. Uh, and you're like, how dare you? But the car didn't start. You lied to me. I'm like, yeah, we do a lot of lying to you. That's what we do. And at, at this point, the movie just lost its hooks in me. I was thinking, okay, now we've got two fake VR missions in a row. The movie's going to have to do something really cool to hook me back up again. And it uh, doesn't. It never really does. It just kind of keeps doing the same thing. She goes on missions. It becomes very yeah. episodic. Now she goes back. They finally go back to Hong Kong and she has her first real mission where she assassinates some dude who's at uh, the opening of an 
Arboretum or something? Um, it, it's it's in the bird Aviary? sanctuary that they're doing. Bird it. sanctuary because the the bird sanctuary guy is the dude she falls in love with, and I don't yes. know why he's very bland. But he's taking pictures of her, and she's supposed to go kill him. But then she's like, "Oh, but he's kind of cute, though." Yeah, yeah. She breaks basically into his house. Yeah, uh, she breaks into his house, and I think the idea is that she was supposed to take care of him because he had taken pictures of her. Like maybe to take the pictures back, but I think the idea was she's going to murder him because certainly so. her boss wants her to kill him later. Oh yeah, straight up, straight up makes her do it. So. I, for whatever reason, she decides not to kill him, I guess, because she doesn't, yeah. she, I, I don't know oh, what her deal he is. The, he pulls out the harmonica. Um, she plays a harmonica. Right. She likes the harmonica. And then he pulls it out and they have a connection and that's it. That is I, the I, entire I mean, connection. I, I think it's also just her not wanting to kill people as she's been pretty resistant to doing it. I, 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 we didn't really mention with the the wedding that she shoots up the bride is the person that she yeah. assassinates uh and i don't know i guess it's like a mafia wedding who knows who who knows we don't you, they sure you think don't they tell her. told her something but maybe not that's that's yeah. just not how they do things and I, I guess that's also a key problem is that she's not allowed to know anything so we as the audience are not allowed to know anything and it makes these missions kind of hollow we don't know the point of them yeah she's killing all these people and it's like I don't know what the stakes are. Yeah, is the, any the of these are people potentially the final boss? Yeah. Is Queen Elizabeth going to come back and she's going to have to kill her for real? No, actually, she isn't. Well, because like it kind of almost turns into not anything about the kills anymore because she starts this romance with the dude, and I couldn't be less interested. No, it uh, is in this guy. He's very boring. A as I said when we were talking about it, the simple fix would be if it was a lady. You know, it could be the same character, could be the same boring lady who runs an aviary, but that alone would be at least somewhat compelling because it's 1991 and you don't really do that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that would make it better. Or or like I said, like have him be an enemy spy and that's part of why she's supposed to kill him. But We'll have anything other than him just being this boring pastel dude who's into birds and harmonicas, yeah. and I don't care. His his most interesting feature is that his heart's on the other side of his chest, and that's how she fakes him out later. In, yeah, the only reason you would put that in a story is to well, you, have him survive getting shot in the chest. Yeah, you know that at some point there's going to be a part where he gets shot in what would normally be the heart, but in him it's the other side, and the I guess it's the nail in the coffin for this movie when they <laughs> they have that happen and then they have to like do a flashback to him talking about the hard thing. It's like no, we remember. We this saw, happened, like, like you were setting minutes. it up. This happened like get ten it. minutes ago in movie time. This wasn't something from the start yeah. of the film. I was like, come on, we get it, we get it. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're they're going on one of their dates, and she encounters Jenny, who recognizes her from whatever the fuck she did before she came to Canada. Yeah, when like a friend she knew when she was living in Hong Kong, and then Jenny's Jenny and her husband is it husband, husband. or boyfriend? They get fucking exploded. Their they whole think... apartment goes up, <laughs> Fight Club style. It it pretty much affected, exactly the same yeah yeah <laughs> only affected their apartment and this is when the boyfriend starts to 
be a little suspicious, but not really. Well, and she's worried because she it's the great power, great responsibility thing. She realizes that by being connected to her, he's in danger. So she's yeah. trying to save him. And like, again, he becomes the focal point of the movie as the damsel in distress character. And mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm not interested mm -hmm. in him. <laughs> like on on like the last page of my notes, and I only took about three two and a half pages of notes for this movie. Uh, I just have in big letters, Alan makes the movie worse. Alan, yeah, I didn't even name. remember his name. No, I uh, didn't either until they said it and I wrote it down. I mean, like I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page for Black Cat, and they have the cast list. I mean, the cast list is pretty bad. They've got two sports stars linked as characters in the movie who are. Clearly not the actors who are in the movie because one of them was born uh, two years after the movie came out. But uh, okay, Alan isn't even listed. <laughs> they don't even have Alan in the cast. They got Brian. They got Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who Thomas is. <laughs> They've got several people who just have roles like prison guard and disguised old woman cia agent but they don't have alan because who could care <laughs> he's he becomes the point of the movie and that's why nobody that's why i don't care about the movie <laughs> yeah i mean it, it really does kind of it's like i don't give a shit about the ending of this but no. whatever yeah so they she's got a mission in japan she's got to fly overseas She's like, can I bring my stupid boyfriend? And the guy's like, fuck, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so well, he, he's he at, at first he's like, no, I, I don't want you to have yeah. this boyfriend. I don't want you to know this guy. I don't want him to know you. You should kill him. But yeah, eventually she convinces him to lay off yeah. or he lays off on his own, probably because he knows that he's just going to have to do it himself. Yeah. So this Japan mission, he's like, yeah, can I bring my boyfriend with me to Japan? And he's like, uh guess so then they go on the mission they're they're having sex in the hotel room and she gets a phone call and she's like surprised to receive this phone call from the handler it's like your mission is on right now and she's like but i'm here on a date well yeah this is another thing like the the way the missions are set up in this make absolutely no sense like, like i said she knows nothing and she just has to suddenly be activated and sent to do it right now which, yeah. I mean, this is why he didn't want her to have a boyfriend with her. She was not yeah. supposed to be sightseeing. She's on a mission. Yeah. But it's 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 dumb. They It's an assassination. They're, it's She's supposed to be this top flight assassin with the microchip in her brain. Why are they uh, half-assing the planning so badly? <laughs> exactly. She's like... not even in on the plot. She doesn't know who she's killing, and she doesn't know why or where or even when yeah that's that is not good planning no no she just knows that go to japan and at some point mission will happen yeah the, the, which does not make that's just bad that that's bad writing it, it really is so uh yeah she does the mission she does the kill for some reason alan catches her doing it and is like what what are you doing you're with the cia and he's like freaking out and she's like, okay, well, we have to break up now, like, because you will die. And he's like, but I love you, though. And they escape. Or, no, they, they're supposed to take a taxi to the airport to get back to Hong Kong, but the taxi driver is there to kill Alan. And Black Cat helped him escape. The handler's like, okay, you got to kill this guy, like, seriously. 
he knows way too much shit. So she's like, fine. Shoots him in the, the side of the chest that doesn't have the heart and then leaves him there. And that's it. We have the flashback in yeah. case we forgot. Yeah. <sighs> that's it. <laughs> I, I found it kind of funny. It's like, I shot you in the side of the chest without your heart. So you're going to be fine. And he's like, actually... I'm just imagining like him saying, actually, no, my lungs have holes in them and I'm going to die from blood loss. And the cops are going to find me here bleeding out and still kill me because they're in cahoots with the CIA. But hey, happily ever after, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, the, the movie, the first half, maybe two thirds of the movie are good. But then as soon as we introduce Alan, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Yes, Alan's a very boring character and there is not much of interest to him. Uh, you know what is an interesting movie? Killer Condom. Mm, condom de Grauens. Condom of Horror. Original German title. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, directed by Martin Waltz, 1996. I, I, it is based on a comic book. Okay. Uh, that explains why the <laughs> the cover art looks like all these different like newspaper and Saturday morning cartoon drawings of this cop and these... <laughs> Condoms. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so our our main main character, Detective Macaroni, Detective Luigi Macaroni, Luigi which is Macaroni from very, Sicily, very silly Italian name. Uh, he's very gay, and he's like so incredibly comfortable with his gayness, but he's also like this uh, classical hard boiled cop. Oh, you know, he is like. I, I I was when he first showed up on the screen. I just had to take a picture and sh- and uh, share it with everybody. Like this haggard ass looking cop. <laughs> he looks he's so great. He's got a cigarette in his mouth in every scene that he's in, and he's always standing right next to no smoking signs. Yeah, and always like you know he he's got the Homer Simpson stubble all the time. He's in kind of a shabby suit. And he has just the same flat expression all the time. He is yeah. just like not into anything. He is very like low register uh, all the time as well. He he's very he's seen it all. This guy, mm. he's classic New York cop. <laughs> so that that is the thing. This is set in New York, although it is uh, shot, I believe, entirely in Berlin. It definitely feels like Berlin when we aren't seeing an establishing shot of New York. Mm. The, the 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 characters don't really some of them don't really act american and it's, it's i don't know how to describe what i mean by that well i mean they're all german like yeah. it, 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 there is no there there are no american actors mm-hmm. but yeah no luigi is a great cop he's a lot of fun i love what he's like yelling at people about like his partner in particular is like, listen, I'm gay. You're not going to set me up with whatever girl, you know, stop asking me. This is normal and you need to be comfortable with it. I do like how his character is so thoroughly comfortable with his queerness. Like mm-hmm. that, that is for me, the most fascinating element of the character is that he's just thoroughly himself and he has like he he has no concern about his masculinity and there's no way anyone could ever push through that like there it could never be used against him mm-hmm. like in 
anything else you watch in the 90s especially if there's like a gay cop or a gay authority figure it's a deep dark secret yeah it's something that they can't let anyone know or it's something that they're going to heavily react against he's going to be hyper masculine he's not any of those things he's just yeah. like man i am the dude i am and i want you to get out of my face yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but but yeah he being openly gay he does see a lot of pushback uh in the police station for it but I guess he's just that good of a cop that it doesn't matter. Well, he doesn't put up with it. He, he doesn't take that. any of it. Yes, yes. Interesting that this movie came out in 1996 and is about how the American government basically didn't do anything about the AIDS epidemic because it was just a problem for the queers and the hookers, as one guy puts it. Yeah, it is an AIDS crisis movie. But again, it's made in Europe. Yeah, Like an American movie wouldn't do this in no. the 90s, but... You know, a German movie commenting on the American government absolutely can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, the fact that it's a German movie is probably the only reason this movie is able to exist in 96. So we start with the professor who's bringing his student to Hotel Quickie, Hotel which is Quickie. sort of the the main uh, location in this movie. It's a very disgusting hotel with this gross guy who runs it. He buys condoms in bulk and leaves them on the bedside <laughs> tables there. They not wrapped not in foil. <laughs> very nope. disgusting. It is. <laughs> the professor's like, well, you know, I, I may have said that you passed the exam, but you actually failed by eight points as he's taking off his pants. So you right. know what this is. So she, yeah, she, well, she doesn't. It, it takes doesn't. her quite a while to clue in. And as he's putting on the killer condom, not realizing it, she's crying and she's pulling up the sweater. And just that POV shot of the it's starting to go. And she goes, ah, and blood just sprays all over her. And we hear him <laughs> screaming and it cuts to condom, the grounds. <laughs> like oh shit and luigi macaroni is beginning his day in the office but <laughs> the, he uh, seems like the sort of cop like uh jodon baker and wacko like he's oh. a dude who should have uh, uh a suitcase with a spigot just to, to <laughs> constantly drink coffee from well i think like one of the secretaries advises somebody's like hey he can't start his day until he's had his coffee and aspirin yeah, no, it, it's he needs to have a black coffee and a bottle of aspirin before he can do anything. <laughs> yeah, ah, that's hilarious. <laughs> he, he's always wearing his sunglasses inside, too. Yeah, he is. He, he's a distinct figure who always has the exact same look and always has the same lack of expression. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, he, he might be my favorite uh, hard boiled scene at all cop. Mm. Uh, but so he's talking to the family of the girl uh, who came, who flew all the way out from Farmville, Oklahoma. Of course, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, she's she's a very innocent girl, and mm -hmm. they're ridiculous, of course. Yeah, and it's like, well, what happened with my daughter? I demand answers. And Macaroni's like, oh well, your daughter went with her professor to the hotel quickie, where she proceeded to bite off his penis. And the guy's right. like, what? Because their their ongoing assumption through all of this is that there is a rash of hookers biting penises off. And yeah. they're sort of believing that for some, like, she's the first anomaly. And like, I don't know why this random girl's doing it. Like, I guess it's because 
she's innocent, but it, it's weird that there's this rash of things going on. It's strange that the prostitutes would be doing it because, yeah. you know, that's their business. It seems like yeah. it'd be setting bad business. And, like, and it seems weird that there's like three happening in this one hotel in one night. It's strange that they're all right there. And yeah. like he, you know, he talks to her and she's sticks to her story. Yeah. So he goes to investigate the quickie hotel where he runs into both his former partner, uh, Babette, Babette. I, I think Babette because Bob Babette. Yeah. Who, this is a she's, fascinating character. Yeah. <laughs> so she's, she's a trans woman, maybe, but it's implied maybe. that she might have decided to become this to impress Luigi because she believes that Luigi wants to have sex with his mom because her therapist told her so. And Luigi's seems, like, no. It seems like Babette has a tendency to become sexually obsessed with people yes. and always wants to insert herself as their mother. And like to a degree, you do want like Luigi's thing or Macaroni's thing when they first meet up at the at Hotel Quickie is like, Bob, you're not a transvestite. This is about me. I know that you're obsessed with me. I need you to just stop it. Please leave me alone. I'm not into you like that. <laughs> I I was into you as a dude. We we did that thing. You know, it was it, that was fine. I'm into guys. I'm strictly into guys. I don't think you understand. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, she's like always telling him it's like, "No, Luigi, you love me. You love me. You're my little Oh, she calls him like this nickname that he hates. There's a few cuz like there's a female name that she uses for him. It's like, "Oh, you liked it that night." It's like, <laughs> "Yeah, that that was just a one-time thing." Uh, which it is interesting. Three minutes and I fell asleep. But it was life changing because he has this fucking thirty three centimeter dong. <laughs> and that's how you know that this character is not actually American. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the thing with the the character and like because later on, Babette's loyalties will turn towards Billy at the end, right? Is it uh, Billy not, that she's after at the very end? No, like it's she's not trying Billy, to. It's Sam. Uh, Sam. His partner. Sam Hanks, the other partner, right? Yeah. The new partner. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like has tried to insert herself as in the same way. Yeah. So, so this might just be her mo. Yeah, but the, which maybe like macaroni. We could kind of take his viewpoint because he does seem to fairly consistently be correct, but it, the the. It's remarkably well handled for being mid nineties. Yeah, like not ideal, but still pretty good for the mid nineties, especially in terms of the the name recognition. Because like macaroni is like Bob, Bob, please. It's but like, nope, Babette, and eventually, yeah, eventually he does. Like when he won't accept it at first because he is actively being misgendered back. <laughs> yeah she, she's using this other name for him he's like that is not my name and i don't appreciate that so he won't use it but as soon as he's with the other guy when he's with sam and they're watching the surveillance and they see babette with some dude doing a bdsm thing yeah uh, sam's like oh my god is that bob and he's like babette, babette. <laughs> yeah so 
at the hotel that he's uh, investigating, after running into Babette, he also runs into Billy, who he's Billy. just meeting for the first time. Hot uh, young Billy guy. is hot. That's his uh, whole thing. That's his whole thing. But um, I guess his other thing is he is conscientious about uh, sex, and he he is good about safe sex, mm. which most of the other people around here do not seem to be. He brings his own condoms. Right, which is why he has never been accused of dick biting. Correct. Until now. Because he's, well, him and Macaroni, under the pretense of investigating the room, are going to have sex. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very clear right away that yeah. Macaroni sees Billy and he's into him. He's like, well, let's go talk about this up in a room <laughs> but yeah. they're they're clearly into each other and yeah. he's he starts to get at the condoms and stuff and they get attacked by the condom that is there <laughs> which yes. is really funny and like we cut to him in the hospital bed and like oh my god did the giant dong get it but it bit off one of his testicles <laughs> uh, and now everybody's giving him a hard time it's like oh yeah you went to he went to, to a sex worker and he bit off your nuts. And the whole time he's like, no, it was a killer condom. Yeah, das condom. No one will believe me. Everybody, It, it is this ongoing thing where everybody's talking about, and it's like, well, that seems stupid. I don't believe that. You're, why don't you just tell the truth? And like, what they know about him is that he would be telling the truth, right? Yeah, but he is a guy who would completely admit that he was there to have sex with the guy. Yeah, but they 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 just like no man. It's just because you're into freaky queer shit, and now you're trying to cover yeah. it up because again, right? Nineties New York. It, it, well, nineties slash eighties. We yeah. are definitely doing a satire of the whole AIDS crisis thing, and mm -hmm. yeah, nobody will listen to him because <laughs> just like, well, I'm pretty sure it's your fault though. <laughs> are you sure it wasn't uh, a result of you being gay? Yeah, I mean, that, that is kind of what it consistently boils down to. So he's like, well, I guess I have to deal with this entirely myself. So he goes back to the place with the gun. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to fucking shoot up a condom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's watching security footage to see. Uh, and it turns out it's actually like live footage that he's watching <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, to see if any of the condoms are moving. First, he shoots a condom that Babette was going to use, but it's a, just a regular one. Yeah. And then right, because he... this is the part where uh, Sam is introduced to her as Babette. Yeah. And then he hears a scream, so he's trying to find the source of the screaming, but it's a sex hotel, There's so there's a lot of screaming, and he can't find it in time. <laughs> it's a good bit. Yep. And then gets into a room, and there's a dick just flies off of a dude with a condom on it and starts Funny every time across the floor. It's amazing. So, like, I... I... I front-loaded this last week. I talked about this as, like, my favorite thing in the movie. It's just because it happens only a handful of times, but every time it is hysterical that the <laughs> sound it makes when it, like, pulls off the body and is, like, the rip, and it flies oh, yeah. across through. It always arcs through the air, and there's a <laughs> splat when it hits the floor. And then it's just running off, and it making the little sort of noises. Oh, yeah, Everything about like, it is hilarious. It makes, like, gizmo from, or whatever the little gremlin from gremlins. Uh, it makes gizmo. those noises. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of adorable until we uh, see its face. 
They're gross. Yeah, so it's Giger slash Jörg Butgerite uh, designed these. Uh, both, like, <laughs> legendary <laughs> gross horror dudes. So it's they're so gross looking. But it's amazing that they managed to get it to look so gross because it really is just a condom with teeth. Yeah. That is how they animate it. The animation of it, it's very disgusting. And yeah, it's perfect. I For me, the, the part that had me... Like the most like oh gross was when they're all traveling through the sewers and you get all the different colored ones oh. on that storm drain all coming yeah. up out of the sewer. I'm like, There's oh, like it's the, making the, me sick. Oh, the, the ribbed one, <laughs> or the, the one with like the little bumps. Yeah, and because <laughs> they've all got like grime on them and dirt from being in the sewer, and like they're gonna go up into this. Oh, it's so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the lab where they're made is also well, amazing, it's, it's, disgusting. It's where the Ninja Turtles live, you know? <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the, the condom leaves the dick behind and escapes. And there's just this dick on the floor of the hotel. And uh, still nobody believes him, and the chief takes him off the case. Right. <laughs> he's like you're a loose cannon macaroni stop investigating this shit because it's obviously just you getting into your freaky sex stuff and he's like I don't get into freaky sex stuff well I do but that's not what this is yeah he's like look uh, my, my sex life is uh, separate from my work life and uh, these things aren't a problem uh, mm. but no one will believe him, and yeah. everybody's after Billy, so Billy is having all sorts of problems. Yeah, because his partner thinks that Billy bit off his nut, and like, there's wanted signs for him, and Sam's like doing a mad no matter, for Billy. Yeah, no matter how much he says, no, this Billy is completely innocent, and I kind of like this guy, so maybe lay off him. Nobody will listen to him, because <laughs> well, he's gay, so he, he's compromised. Yeah, yeah, it's like, he charmed him so much that he's okay with getting his, his testicle bit off. Yeah. So Babette or um, Luigi is showering in his apartment, and Babette comes and they do a full psycho scene, like complete with the knife not going into the body and everything. Right, because uh, in this case, of course, it is the gag that the stabbing isn't actually yeah. working. Yeah, he's it's... not actually stabbing, but I love like the cigarette butt going down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> and. Luigi's like, what the hell are you doing doing a psycho thing right now? But notices that Babette's purse is moving. There's right. a killer condom in there. And they, they have a whole standoff in the in the room with it. They, they, he tries to shoot it, but I think he runs out of bullets because they have to use the stove. Yeah. They have to use the, the propane line for the, <laughs> so, the oven. So what he does is he drops the towel that's around his waist holds the hose for the propane line on the stove up to his dick and tries to lure the condom into biting that and then he Which just explodes it works yeah <laughs> and then he just explodes it and then we've got my favorite gross scene in the movie is the condom autopsy <laughs> i just really like the image like his bare legs and him holding this uh propane hose <laughs> down between his legs going Ooh, <laughs> oh, and we see like uh, the condom's POV as he's, yeah. as he's right. going well, that, up to the swinging hose. Yeah, that shit's funny. And uh, Bavette screaming the whole time, like, oh God, what's happening? I can't believe I went psycho. You were actually right about all this shit. 
so now he has proof. Yep, now and he has they, proof. They're, they're going to, and they realize, well, this thing obviously has been genetically engineered. This has been created by someone. It's like, wow, that's fucked up. Well, who would do that and why? Who and is Deed? They realize that the Quickie Hotel used to be a church. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. A weird church. A church with like some strange views. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. And then it, it went under. And like it really went under. It's like literally gone underground. <laughs> but the uh, now the condoms are rising up from the sewer, like swarms. So disgusting. Absolutely revolting. Uh, one bites off this woman's nose, and she's going to become oh, an important yeah. character. I forgot about this. this is the lady in the park. It just gets her in the nose. Uh, th that bit is very funny, and she's very upset about it. She's got a really big nose. Yeah. And, uh, and she doesn't like, speak English. Yeah, and now for the rest of the movie, she's got like this, what looks like a bandage clown nose. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, she doesn't speak English, but she knows about the condoms and she's trying to give them the information, but yeah. nobody's listening to her. Who people are listening to is uh, the Republican candidate Dick McGovern. <laughs> Dick McGovern. This really killed me. Uh, him in his hot tub with his prostitute. And <laughs> he, he, he's, he, he's just in the bath and the, the condom just like dives in there with him. This one's my favorite for like condom just jumping out of the bath with the oh, dick yes. in it and goes <laughs> it's riding on a rubber ducky at first yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the hot tub pool just starts going red <laughs> it's pretty great but like that that for me was definitely the funniest one of those just because the the whole slapstick nature of the scene and that he's this law and order candidate and he <laughs> oh yeah it's really interesting to hear someone on a podium doing like a make america great again speech in an angry german mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean there, I there is a certain recognizable quality to it yeah. yeah and i don't know if they intended that or not because other like they're in berlin what other language is he gonna speak but right <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I I think there is definitely an element to that because Germany is very self-aware about their history because they've continued to teach it. Yes, <laughs> uh, they they've made it illegal to be a Nazi or have a swastika. Yeah, they gotta they're, appreciate they're, that. They're very cautious about not repeating the past, mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's something that they self-examine quite a bit. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that that's absolutely intentional there, recognizing the right, uh, the, the rise of the right in America post Nixon as being this kind of like, eh, kind of heading in a certain direction. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, him getting his dick bit off is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I love how he's talking to like the chief later and it's like, you knew about these killer condoms and the chief of police is like, well. We thought it was just a problem for queers and hookers. Right. We didn't think it could happen to Republican candidates. <laughs> That's we a... never could have imagined. And he's like, it's okay, though. Your campaigns, this won't hurt your campaign. And the guy's like, I don't have a campaign. Nobody is going to vote for a presidential candidate who got his dick bit off. Yeah, th there's no chance. Having a penisectomy is going to be a big problem for me as an American uh, 
politician. Like, yeah, that that's you're yeah. ruined. That's yeah. it. <laughs> that is it. Because even though it shouldn't make a difference, the fact is absolutely it 100% make a gigantic a difference. difference. Yes. Yeah. And even today, that would that guy wouldn't get elected. That'd be the end of his campaign. Even today, more so today. Yeah, more so today. Actually, you're right. In in every way, more so. But yeah, yeah so the, we have all this. And like now, macaroni has support. Yeah. Like now that people people realize that rich white guys can get affected by the killer condom uh it could happen to anyone so now we we actually probably should uh spend some money dealing with this yeah well the, <laughs> well the chief says to him is like okay macaroni you know the gay scene and so you need to go and solve this condom thing before it bites some rich upperclassmen in the upper east side because we don't want that Right, and exactly. Macaroni's like, dude, that's the problem, though. I can't go undercover in the gay scene because they all know who I am. So we're going to have to use Sam. And Sam is homophobic, we'll say. Yeah, somewhat, anyways. Somewhat. He, like, he's been with Macaroni for a while and he's not troubled by him, but he definitely, he he's not as comfortable in his masculinity as... Uh, as macaroni yeah and, and macaroni dresses him up in like bondage gear to go to the club right and he he specifically chooses a yellow uh, uh bandana to hang outside his uh, sh- uh, uh in his back pocket which means he likes to be peed on uh but he tells I, him it means that he's not interested in sex right now right he's he's trolling him which is yeah. pretty funny um <laughs> There, this is a whole thing. There's this great movie, Cruising, from the 80s, where Al Pacino is undercover as a gay man in, uh, like, trying to root out a slasher who's going after gay men. Okay. So there's they go through a whole thing where they're learning what the different colors of bandanas mean, if you were to put them in his back pocket. <laughs> oh. It's like, whole portion of that movie. That, that movie's crazy. Okay. Uh, made by William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist. Oh shit! All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there, there's this like long scene of him being really uncomfortable in the gay club, but he finally finds a stool to sit down, and a guy's checking him out. So he points at his towel or his uh, bandana in the pocket, like, and then like mm-hmm. winks at the guy. And then we cut to them at the police station. Like, I got peed on. <laughs> yeah, and Magnus like, I'm I'm sorry. I I it, it was a joke. I, I didn't know that would happen to you there that someone would pee on you in the bar. But come on, you're fine. It's you're, you. It washes off, man. Chill out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's around here, I think that the that the nose lady shows up. Uh, yeah, and they're trying to figure out what like nobody seems to speak her language. Eventually, it turns out that Billy is able to translate for her. Yeah, yeah. Because the nose lady, after getting her nose bit off, went to the hospital and she found at the hospital's altar, uh, she found the secret passage to the bond lair, basically. Yeah. The, in, inside the, the hospital, there's like a, a hidden door under the altar and it goes down into the sewer where we've got our stolen, kidnapped. Boris uh, Smirnoff. Boris Smirnoff, the, the doctor. <laughs> Uh, who's been creating these yep uh, in exchange for the red jelly that he really likes his favorite red jelly candy uh and there's just some lady who is is this dr doris uh dr oh, 
I didn't write down her name. It's not Doris, though. It's something. There is a Dr. Doris Riffleson. That's it. Oh, no, that is it then. Yes, okay, that's her. Yes. And yeah. she turns out she's the one behind the whole thing because she believes that sex should be with a man and a woman and you shouldn't need contraception because you should only be having sex when you're trying to have a baby. All this other stuff goes against God. Right. It is a whole religious thing and she's got this whole plot that she wants to uh, exterminate homosexuality and everything with these condoms uh and we have a big fight <laughs> uh there's a super monster condom specifically for detective macaroni and his 32 inch 32 centimeter cock yeah 32 inch would be God. fucking crazy 32 centimeters is still crazy 32 centimeters is like 12 inches and a bit <laughs> that's so three times that would be nuts <laughs> yeah yeah but but yeah there, there's this whole shootout um they she's got like this batman death trap set up where they're all suspended on swings over the pool where the condoms are <laughs> they're like <living>. jumping up <laughs> yeah they're jumping up like piranhas it, it's like a breeding pool for yeah. them or something i don't know but also the doctor or the the scientist has decided to rebel because they're not bringing him his red jelly yep. and he takes the gun and he's like now before anything else happens, you're going to get me my red jelly. <laughs> uh, then the then the cops busted, or no, the not the cops, a bunch of people from the hospital enter into the secret passage. Luigi basically just speeches at this doctor for a good five minutes. It actually cuts off the speech to go into his internal monologue where he's like, I don't know where these words were coming from. I don't know how I how I managed to do this. I just found it really annoying. All these white lights behind me and the choir of angels singing. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's just like, that's it. My whole thing is over. And she dives into the condom pool. Right. And they, they consume her. Mm -hmm. And outside of the hospital, Billy and macaroni are kind of like, kind of flirting, kind of like, no, like, I will continue yeah. to be a couple. And yeah. Okay. The, quite an adventure we had. Yeah, and uh, Babette and Sam are kind of meeting up, and Babette's trying well, to do the Babette same thing. Babette is Sam. latching on to Sam yes. in the same way. Like, uh, oh, you know, tell me about your mother. Was she a lot like me? <laughs> <laughs> no. And Sam's like, uh, you're Bob, right? And like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, that's. Uh, it ends where Luigi's thinking about retiring, and he's like, there's one downside to retiring. You won't be able to call me cop anymore, and I like it when you do that. He's like, "Oh yeah, right. cop. cop, cop." He's like, "Huh, I like that." And they, it's it's sort of this weird romantic thing, and him, the two of them walking away, and and that is the end. Like, yeah, it, it's sweet in a weird sort of way. <laughs> this this is the best movie I watched this week. I think, yeah. although I mean, I liked all of them. Well, most of them, but yeah, this is my favorite one. That's fair. I I I maybe put Emmanuel and Bangkok over this. But, oh, uh, I actually, they're tied. Yeah, Those two I, I tied. like both of them quite a bit. Uh, I would definitely say that it's better than this. Like I like Iron Prefect fine, but again, it's it's not perfect. You know, no. it's it's got its flaws. It, yeah. it, uh, it it's got some strange decisions in mm. terms of uh, 
what it does with the character. Yeah, and Black Cat, I I was lost. I, I was kind of done after the halfway point. <laughs> I love the first hour of Black Cat, and I don't mind the rest of it. It's just I'm totally uninterested in love interest character. He's completely boring. Yeah, they, they needed something else for him besides the love interest. Like, th- that's why I liked Billy. He does, he's He's basically just the love interest, but he doesn't take over the movie. Right. And he's useful. Yes. Like he actually provides solutions and he shows up with uh, things that solve problems. And uh, he's never a cause of a problem at any point. Yeah, either. And he also doesn't make ma- he never makes macaroni stop investigating the case or anything like that. No, like, yeah, he, he's completely helpful yes. in, in the case. Yeah, yeah. he's great. That, that's a love interest done right. Yeah. And I just, the, the political nature of the movie is very interesting. I, I like the, its commentary on the AIDS crisis is pretty spot on. And uh, it, it's well before uh, American cinema started to tackle it. Like, it's, it's a good decade or so before they did. Yeah, and I, I was... It, I was kind of shocked when it came up because I was expecting just a gore fest. And then when he said the thing about like, well, we thought it was just hookers and gays. I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's like, Oh, oh that's what shit. really about. Yeah. And, and, and then it immediately falls into place. Like, Oh yeah, no, I totally see how this fits. <laughs> and, and then it turns out that yeah. Killer condom is a really well-constructed movie. It's a good satire. Yeah. So do you have any last thoughts on any of those three before we head on to our third and final section for this week? Yes. It was the condom. I was not bit by a person. It was the condom. Das condom. Das condom. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about all the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past week. And deciding what we're going to cover next week. So this week, I've attuned things more towards the gore month. And I'm not watching exclusively gore, but much more of a helping of gore uh, among (laughs) the picks. I watched a lot of stuff, too. Yeah, there's there's a few in here, I see. We have 14 picks this week. And first up is a sequel to something we discussed last week. Watched Sentet (laughs) 2. Uh... Much more of a comedy this time. Okay. <laughs> Bokir, main character. <laughs> I am somehow not at all surprised by this. It's like they wanted to make him a main character in the last one, but couldn't quite work it in. So in, in this one, Katemi, yeah, she's back, and uh, people have just decided not to accept her salvation or transition to being you know uh, yeah or, that she's passed the black magic people don't really accept it and uh Nyanker's boss shows up and she's oh. like look I, I i'm or her mentor like the mentor's mentor turns up she curses her she makes her turn into a weird tiger so uh she turns into a tiger and she eats people Mm, okay (laughs) that's some of my favorite stuff the stuffed tiger that they use is hilarious (laughs) to me there's just scenes where someone is being stalked by what's obviously a stuffed tiger that you see at one (laughs) end of the screen and then he walks all the way across and so on just like it is obviously one of those big stuffed tigers that you could get (laughs) that are sort of like a pillow you know the ones i'm talking about i know the ones someone just hucking that at a person and they go oh (laughs) 
and they like wrestle with it. Uh, all that shit rules. Uh, Bismon, uh, obviously he died in the last movie, but oh, Bismon Jr. Bismon Jr. He shows up. Uh, oh man, his identical son. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I, I I don't think they. I'm sure that. I'm sure they didn't make more of these, but if they did, I'm just hoping that each time is just another member of the Bismun family. Uh, we've got like we'll have the uh, General Otto von Bismun in the third one, and maybe uh, the R&B group Bismun Marquis. I guess the, this is the only one. Uh, they oh, they well. didn't did not do any further. Uh, but yeah, I mean, most of it is about Bokir reacting to all of this stuff and him <laughs> being the main character. Now there's more <laughs> songs. Uh, okay. it's, it's, it's a fair bit sillier, but yeah, I, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it every bit as much as the first, quite honestly. Well, uh, yeah, actually I was about to watch the second one right after we did the episode. And the only mm -hmm. reason I didn't is because we were doing the movie exchange right after. So I'm probably picking this as one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Next, uh, from the Lost Films box from Vinegar Syndrome, one that I was really looking forward to, Deep Inside. It's a Joe Sarno Pictures uh, director I really like. So I don't. Th I'm pretty sure you haven't seen any Joe Sarno. Uh, he, he was like an early sexploitation guy. He's one of the pioneers of the form. Okay, uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> but his first film in 64, Sin in the Suburbs, is this really fucking crazy movie just a sidebar about it we'll have to watch it sometime but mm. it, it, it's about this it, it's like an eyes wide shut type club but in like leave it to beaver suburbia you know <laughs> nice. and it, like it's this sort of masked sex club where people get together but it's in like suburban tract housing right mm. and the teenage daughter is in this club because she's sort of realized that she's gay and she's into ladies but then this is just sort of her being able to really explore and then the mom is also in the club and they don't know that each other's in the club and it just <laughs> obviously building to giant climax where they publicly have a threesome and i mean it's so early in the sexploitation cycle that the ending is so chopped to ribbons for what you were allowed <laughs> to show that it's almost hard to say what happens at oh, the really? final party at the end of the movie okay. so this is him a, a few years later where he, obviously he can do stuff he can show nudity there's uh, there is there are sex scenes that are uh, like obviously not hardcore yet but things have moved a long way in a few years of course yeah so this is deep inside and it's uh, this group of friends are just having a party weekend on Fire Island. So Fire Island being a pretty popular gay destination near New York. Oh. Uh, I mentioned when we were talking when I was talking about Barbara. Another yeah, song in the yeah, I've, yeah. We we Fire Island has come up a few times. I feel like so. Um, uh, they're, they're having this party, and there's just sort of this one lady who's who owns the place and who everyone's sort of friends with. She doesn't have any significant other or anything, but she's really interested in kind of puppet mastering everyone else's sex lives and oh, 
so it, it is weird like it, it's sort okay. of a very icy sort of sexploitation movie because it's sexploitation there's lots of sex there's lots of nudity uh there's uh there's one lady who is like eating a peach uh oh, God. <laughs> very sexfully um there's there's this other lady who kind of can't admit to herself that she's gay and she's really starting to realize it watching this other girl eat a peach uh it, it's it's interesting because it's just like these people at a beach house having a bunch of sexual encounters and in any other sexploitation movie it would be pretty breezy but in this it's sort of very psychological and you're looking at how everyone feels about all of this and it's uh like no one's having a very good time <laughs> so it, it, you know very harsh psychological thing around all of the sex which uh is unique it's it's like a bergman movie but with lots of tits <laughs> okay that might be interesting next is nomads which is the first film by john mctiernan uh who then very quickly went on to direct Predator and Die Hard. Oh, and oh. Pretty significant action director immediately, yeah. like the following year. Holy uh, shit. Okay. This movie is not so popular, not so well known. We got Pierce Brosnan. Oh, hey. For some reason, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan is playing a French character. Sure. Why, you, why not? You know what Pierce Brosnan can't do? French accent. Um, that doesn't <laughs> surprise me. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've heard Pierce Brosnan sing, but he can't do that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't. Oh, I, I've had to listen to the uh, uh, soundtrack to Mamma Mia. <laughs> this one, he is a French guy. <laughs> He's a French ethnographer who's in Los Angeles for some reason. And... <laughs> He's being haunted, haunted okay. by ghosts. Uh, sure. There, there's like this gang of punks in a van who keep bothering him, like following him around and messing with him. And they're okay. like really freaking him out because they're punks. They're like L.A. punks of the 80s. <laughs> and I'm, I'm giving this in a much more straightforward way than it happens in the movie because we'll all get to it. But uh, he... Uh, Mary Warrenov traps him in an attic and she comes up and she shows him his tit and I think he dies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, he goes insane after he sees Mary Warrenov's boob and he goes to the hospital and then he whispers some magic words in the doctor's ear and then he dies but he becomes her and she becomes him and for like the next week she's reliving the last week of his life while kind of stumbling around <laughs> just not knowing oh. what's happening in her own life. I think she sleeps with Pierce's wife at one point. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> it's unclear because we see a sex scene between Pierce and her, and then she wakes up in bed with the wife. Oh. <laughs> There's still, I mean, it doesn't make much of any sense. It's pretty dumb. <laughs> the way it's put together, it's very incoherent. Like, we, we learn about him seeing the titty in the attic and being chased by the people over the course of the movie after she gets the whisper in her ear and then it's her just totally disoriented and living two lives and we don't know how much is happening and how much she's doing because we're mostly seeing the past the structure is just 
incoherent. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's so it's kind of like nonsense freaky Friday. Kinda. But like they don't switch positions because he dies. Oh. Oh right. But like so right, yeah, there's time travel involved, maybe. No. No? No, he's haunting her and she's like seeing oh, the oh. last the previous week of his life before he died and what caused it quote unquote i guess because okay but the thing is that they're the nomads thing is that these are ghosts or demons who are trapped in the state of california as punks i guess and so oh. they just hang out and bother people <laughs> oh i see. i don't know Pierce Brosnan is hassled by punks in a van and it freaks him out so much he dies. It's, <laughs> it's kind of dumb. And he's got the worst French accent. I haven't mentioned it very heavily, but like, these people, they live in parking lots. <laughs> it's like some Pepe Le Pew shit. It's pretty bad. Uh, so next is Nightmare. Uh, also known as Nightmare in a Damaged Brain. This is one of the original video nasties. Ooh. Uh, it's pretty gory. Pretty nasty. <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's about this kid who kills his... Like, he, he sees his parents having sex, and he kills them. Like, chops them up with an axe. And we don't really see what... Like, it's it's a, this weird thing where the what led up to him killing them isn't shown until like the end of the movie okay so it's sort of a reveal even though we knew he did it the whole time right right sort of strange right. uh but whatever he saw it made him go crazy and then it, it's just like grindhouse new york uh and he's been let out of the hospital obviously he's he's uh, out of the institution and okay. goes on a fucking rampage necessarily well of course or I, like I don't, it's it's unclear if he's going on a rampage or if it's someone else going on a rampage uh using him as a like a uh, as an excuse but I, it's pretty clear it's him and his doctors are following around and for some reason one of his doctors is just a bruce mcculloch character from kids in the hall i don't know how <laughs> else to describe it he, he the the performance the character he feels like a a Bruce McCulloch businessman character from Kids in the Hall, <laughs> and I couldn't shake it the whole movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he starts tra trailing this family down. He he follows the, this family around. He goes to Daytona Beach and uh, kills a bunch of people there. Uh, I mean, really fucking gory. You got some crazy beheadings and stuff. Cool. Uh and yeah, I mean, there, there's not a lot more to it than that. It's it's a pretty standard classic slasher. It's just, it's an Italian production in America. Mm. All right. Uh, but yeah, pretty wild. Just this guy on a fucking huge rampage. Cool. Uh, next, I finished off the Lost Picture Show box with the uh, Against the Grain documentary, which is uh, oh. self-produced by Vinegar Syndrome. And it's about film preservation sort of the history of boutique film preservation boutique home media sort of how their label developed where they get their negatives how they source stuff uh oh. how all of this stuff is done i mean i found it totally fascinating and it's a real yeah. 
lots of clips from stuff. They sort of show how they sourced most of the movies in this set, as well as talking about some of their more difficult restoration cases over time. It was great. Okay. Very, very interesting. That's That sounds really cool and informative. I've always kind of wondered what all goes into that. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of get to know sort of everybody who runs all of the labels because they have interviews with everybody at all of the different boutique labels, which is cool, too. That sounds cool. Next is The Caper of the Golden Bulls. Ooh. It's a very, very obscure 60s Euro heist film. Uh, you got this dude. It's these dudes who were in World War II, and at the end of World War II, they decided to become super criminals. And heist jewels and gold to pay back because, like, they destroyed this town or something on one of their missions. They fucking just completely. I think they burned a church or something, and they felt really bad about it. This is like we're gonna steal enough stuff that we can pay back the money to rebuild this church because we feel really bad about it. Uh, Something like that. Uh, and anyway, it's, it's like a solid 20 years later and most of them are done with that shit, but there's this lady that they got working with and she knows she has dirt on all of them. So she blackmails them all to doing one last job. You know how Do that they is, have to right? Get the gang back together? They got to get the fucking gang back together. Did I mean, the job just become a lot more complicated? There's not really much of that. No. I mean, oh, okay. things get weirdly complicated very quickly because there's only one possible way they can get in the bank and it's by doing the running of the bulls. Wow. That gets complicated quickly. Cause they're run the, the bank they're robbing is the national bank in Pamplona, Spain. And they're, they're going to rob it the week of the running of the bulls. <laughs> so the only way they could do it is getting in by running with the bulls to get in, in the first place, like in the confusion. Right. And then because next door to the bank or directly across the street from the bank is the police station. So they really <laughs> have like, it's, it's very precise timing. I kind of feel like they could choose an easier bank to rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's specific jewels they want to steal at this. Oh, oh specific it's, jewels. Okay. It's like the, the crown jewels or something. I don't know. Uh, the virgins jewels. There's something to do with Virgin Mary, uh, some, mm. some religious festival. Anyway, the other thing is, then they're going to have to escape through a wall next door and get out naked through a bathhouse. So they're going to have to get <laughs> the jewels out, not on them. Uh, so, you know, tough heist. It's it's very Ocean's Eleven-y, but like in the 60s, unlike the Ocean's Eleven that was made in the 60s, which is very not Ocean's Eleven-y uh, <laughs> when, when you come down to it. I mean, it sounds pretty zany, but it's pretty light <laughs> like it's it's, okay. it's pretty pretty lightweight the the fun thing is for some reason they they're all shirtless when they when they do <laughs> like for, they they do a completely shirtless heist they're all just wearing <laughs> bandanas i don't know oh jeez <laughs> next is primitives uh this is another Siswaro gatama putra movie the same guy who made the two centet movies oh cool cool this is him doing a cannibal movie so this is an oh, indonesian cannibal shit. movie uh early like this is a, only a year or two after last cannibals i think maybe oh, even. yeah uh 78 yeah. it looks like yeah so uh 
it there there is an amount of it that is pretty silly and does have that kind of flavor of the later Sasuero Gautama Putra stuff, but a lot of it is gross. Like there this one does have quite a bit of gore, and there is unfortunately a fair amount of animal death. Oh, okay. Like some of it is on set and some of it's stock footage, but like some of it is definitely like them killing like there, there's one where a guy just like eats a lizard whole. Oof. That's like quite unpleasant. He just like picks it up off the ground and bites it in half. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. I don't and, like that. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's some of that in it that I really don't care for, and them like killing snakes and stuff. There, there's yes. some like a fair amount of real animal death. Uh, the the other stuff is very silly though. Like I said, like I, I sent you a clip from it where uh, they've. They've gotten Barry Prima, the main character guy. He he's in tons of stuff. He's like a real Indonesian star. Uh, you'll have to see The Warrior sometime, which is a crazy Barry Prima movie uh, coming out on Blu-ray sometime this year. Nice uh, from Mondo, Mondo Macabro. Uh, but they they strip him like they they pull all of his clothes off. They they like tear his uh, shirt and pants to bits, and then it's just like we we see all of the cannibals holding scraps of his clothing and hooting at just like bits of his pants and it's very goofy when when we're just hanging out with the cannibals and they're doing silly shit but yeah a lot of the other stuff is kind grody hmm. okay uh next is cat in the brain i love uh, kitties this is a late period, like maybe the final proper Lucio Fulci movie. Uh, so it stars Lucio Fulci as himself. And oh. it's it's very satirical. It's kind of like Censor, where we're kind of playing with the idea that seeing all of this sort of horror infects you and you become, you know, it, it drives you crazy over time. You see too much of it. And uh, <laughs> so he's like on set watching this uh, directing a scene where the dude in the movie is kind of a dude who looks like him and is kind of dressed to look like him and has like his beard and hair so okay. the character in the movie he's directing is kind of him right 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 <laughs> and he's he's watching the thing and it starts to like actually really trouble him it's this dude uh chopping up uh his wife and he also like cooks some of her flesh and eats it this weird cannibal guy. We don't really get a, right. much of an idea what's going on in the movie. Uh, but he starts being really troubled by it. It starts to affect him and he starts kind of having visions of that. So he goes to his psychiatrist who also kind of weirdly looks exactly like him. And <laughs> kind of this dude who looks like him and is dressed like him and is his double. And his psychiatrist is this campaigner against gory movies who wants to... Oh you know, who, who thinks they're really bad and wants to show how awful they are. So he hypnotizes him into, <laughs> I, I don't think he actually gets him to commit crimes, but he makes him have more of these visions. And then the psychiatrist goes out and is committing crimes as him or kind of around him. And sometimes like <laughs> the, the thing, it's got a bloodstream effect where we're constantly in Lucho's head and we don't know what's real and what's not. So it's just every other scene is just some insanely fucking crazy, gory thing happening. Someone's head getting sawn off, or just someone's <laughs> eye being pulled out. Uh, 
the like the opening credits are just a bunch of cats eating brains, but they're not real cats. They're really fake puppet cats. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's like constant gore. It's one of maybe the goriest movies I've ever seen because just every scene is him imagining something really fucking horrifyingly gory happening. <laughs> okay. And then sometimes the things actually happen. All right. That sounds fun. It was, it was very funny. Like it was surprisingly <laughs> like I laughed at it a lot more than I expected to. All right. <laughs> uh, next is superstition. Uh, this is a Canadian movie direct, like made in the U S it's like it's it's shot in Los Angeles, but it's a Canadian production. Okay. Um, and it's fucking weird as balls. It's really fucking action packed. A lot of, a lot of haunting. So, sixteen ninety two. There's this witch that was executed, and you know it's nineteen eighty two. It's almost three hundred years later, and yeah. she just starts getting her revenge. Starts fucking offing people, uh, through the house being haunted. Usually at that's at the start, right? Like right. uh, someone gets cut in half by the window, like a window closes on them and just chops them oh, in half. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent you a clip of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but just like crazy turbo haunting all of a sudden. And it's it's a real don't go in the house situation where the haunting is entirely located within the house. And it's only for people who are descendants of the bloodline of the people who uh, sentenced her to death and executed her. And so if those people don't go into the house. They'll be fine. Yeah. I oh. mean, like, just don't stay away from the house. I mean, it, it has some reach outside the house, but like environs of the house. Right. But, so like the, the priest who like it's church land and there's the priest who lives on the land and there's his kind of sketchy younger priest who is supposed to be the guy who's fighting against it. Most of the movie, but he just does not seem to be doing things very intelligently. He's, he seems sinister to me the whole time. Hmm. <laughs> Anyway, the, the the older priest gets murdered by the house because they're cleaning it up because the the cities, after these first couple people get killed, you know, kids go in there to make out or pull pranks or whatever. Uh, right. They're like, you've got to clean this place up and actually use it for something or we're going to condemn it and the church can't have it anymore. And like, oh, church can't lose this land. And the priest goes there and they start cleaning it up and the older priest dies. And so his family comes to move into the place. I don't know how this works exactly. <laughs> and okay. obviously they all get picked off one by one as well. Ah, so, so the priest dies and I guess part of the will is the family just has to stay in a hut. Oh man. His family <laughs> moves matter. in. I don't know why his family, <laughs> like the priest's family would come move in, uh, but they're, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. it's fun you know like it's fucking crazy <laughs> they're just cr non-stop crazy gore i mean one of the problems is that maybe too many of the deaths in the latter half are just uh spooky witch's hand grabs them and pulls them off screen <laughs> <laughs> next is blonde death this is a direct-to-video movie from the 80s it's like early oh. early sov uh it's oh. about this it's it's a satirical movie it's sort of a 80s update of uh the stark weather thing so this there's this lady this girl tammy lynn beaverdorf oh, new, new to california from the midwest and her mom has run off to church for the weekend supposedly 
but her mom is is secretly like she is an evangelical but she wants to poison the daughter and the husband as well and start and use the the insurance money to start a church with this other priest she's banging oh. that all sort of eventually comes out but uh yeah the dad has gone away to on business in Saudi Arabia because he's got business with the Saudis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what he does, but he's a businessman. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, so she's left alone, uh, and a serial killer who's broken out of jail or a mass murderer. He mostly kills rich people. They've they've been political murders. Uh, okay. So he shows up and uh, holds her hostage, but she's into it, and then they become like a nihilistic couple and they're killing people. They, they grab the mother and they hold her hostage and they kill the priest who she was going to run off with. And there's a part where they go to Disneyland and they actually <laughs> kind of covertly shot a few scenes in Disneyland, oh, shit. which is kind of fun. Uh, there's this lesbian who really is trying to get with Tammy and Tammy doesn't really realize it. And then, she takes Tammy on an adventure where she goes to her ex-husband's house and rips his eye out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's kind of wild. Cool. Next, we've got Hell High. This is an, a late 80s slasher. Pretty strange one. I I sent you a clip from this as well. I sent you the inciting incident of the movie where there's this little girl and she goes to this shack just sort of next to the swamp because oh. she's been kind of using it to play with her dolls. Yeah, right. There's a, this is the motorcycle accident, right? Right, right. So there, there's the, the, this biker shows up with his girlfriend and they're kind of getting it on in the shack and the girl is peeping on them. And she's very shocked by it. And also like the, the boyfriend rips the doll's head off. Cause like, what the fuck's oh. this doll doing in here? And, pulls the doll's head off and she's very shocked by this and very upset. So she gets a bucket full of swamp water. And as they're driving off, she throws it and un unexpectedly they fly off the motorbike and get impaled on spikes right next to the road and are very fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. That that kind of reminded me of like the motorcycle accident in Perkel. And, uh, in, um... <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, which, whichever one it was with this had the motorcycle crash. Uh, there was just no clear cause to it. Uh, the not the Grim Reaper, but the one the Grim Reaper was a re uh, burning hell, burning hell. That's it, the burning hell. Uh, so we cut to 18 years later. She's a biology teacher now, okay. And we follow her delinquent students who hate her, and uh, they one of them is a real delinquent, and he's decided he's going to. They're all going to get together and they're going to put in, put on masks and break into her house and give her a scare. They don't really know about this thing. Like mm. nobody knows about this thing. I don't think she was ever caught. Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they, they come in to give her a scare, but one of them also maybe kind of wants to rape her. So like there, there's all sorts of weird tensions going around. It's a, it's pretty interesting. It, it takes some strange turns. Okay. Next is Assignment Skybolt. This is a Greek oh. James Bond knockoff. Yeah, the guy on the poster really wants us to think about James Bond when we look at him. He is Dan Holland. There's a part in the movie where he <laughs> walks past uh, a tombstone for Jimmy Bond and he just gives a whistle. Uh, so it's it's basically just a ripoff of Thunderball specifically. 
Uh, okay. It's it's moved to Greece, but there he's an American agent rather than a British agent. Mm. And he's after a stolen hydrogen bomb, which someone has hidden on a yacht. And they've also kidnapped some people. Like they've got family members kidnapped of some other people to keep them under their thumb. I mean, it was dopey. <laughs> I I had fun, but it was very dopey. Uh, uh, I love the the tagline on the poster. He gave his word that he would recover the stolen NATO bomb, and his word, word was, was his bond. bond. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're like he's clearly styled to look like Connery. You know, it's it's sixty oh, yeah. sixty seven, I think, sixty eight. So it's like right. It's it's still in the Connery era. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> uh, next is Maniac. Ooh. Uh, one of the key early slashers, one of the like really big landmark ones. This is a major video nasty. I I sent you the very famous uh, Tom Savini shotgun blast to the head sequence when he's in the front yes. seat of the car. <laughs> oh man, there was so much blood. It was just an explosion of blood. So awesome. So it's a uh, Joe Spinell who. I, he he's fantastic as this guy Zito Frank Zito, who is he's a maniac. He's sort of got he, he's psycho adjacent. Like it's it's sort of doing psycho twenty years later uh, in Grindhouse New York. So it's really grimy, real streets of New York stuff, all really shot on location. Cool. And he he's this dude who's pretty fucking gross and slimy and he likes to scalp women uh, and he puts the scalps on mannequins and he, like he steals the clothes that they that he killed them in and puts the clothes on the mannequins and then he sort of just has he sleeps with them in his little gross apartment that's that's messed up it's pretty fucked up <laughs> okay uh from like he he has abandonment issues from when he was a kid he was uh, his mother was a prostitute, and she would just lock him in a closet when she went off to go uh, sleep with guys and stuff. So he's got I, – I can't remember which real serial killer that's based on, but that was a real dude. I think that was maybe Pan's Ram or something. It's like one of those really angry guys. Uh, no, the Hand of Doom fake-ass oh. motherfucker. So it, it may oh, have been totally fiction. Um... <laughs> hand of doom who was that that was henry lee lucas wasn't henry it? lee lucas yeah i think that was a henry lee lucas origin story thing so i think that's who they yeah. borrowed it from uh but yeah i mean it's it's classic like it, it it's one of those that you really fucking feel the grime mm, interesting all right and last is death carries a cane this is from the forgotten gialli collection volume six the latest one from vinegar syndrome uh, this one, this lady is uh, out with friends and she's looking through one of those tourist viewfinders, like one of those tourist telescope things, right? Mm -hmm. You put a coin yeah. in and she witnesses a brutal murder, sees this lady get stabbed to death. Oh. But it's hard to report it because they don't really know where they were looking and they can't oh. pull it up very quickly. And, you know, she just knows the number on the house and she saw it. But a few people saw it. You know, there there's okay. a few witnesses and there's like one photograph but then everybody who saw it starts getting murdered and people related to the case start getting murdered. And also somehow her husband ends up being the prime suspect. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Very twisty. I'm going to say that it doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense by the end. There's 
a lot of red herrings. There's a lot of stuff like, I don't know who there, there's a point where we're supposed to believe someone else has done it for a solid amount of time. And it's one of these where it spends so much time fooling the audience that it, like, not unlike black cat where you're mm. just like, I don't really know what's happening at all anymore because you've spent so much time trying to make me believe <laughs> other things are happening. All right. <laughs> so those are our 14 picks. What do you figure for next week? Well, I definitely want to do Santet 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking you kind of got me interested in, well, you got me interested in a lot of these, actually. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff that's thematically appropriate, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking the Hell High one. Okay. And Cat in the Brain, or On the Brain, or whatever. Cat in, in the, the Brain. brain. Yeah. Right. Lucio Fulci. I don't think you've seen any Fulci. I don't think I have. Yeah. An interesting introduction. Uh, <sighs> so those three, uh, Santat 2, Hell High, and Cat in the Brain? Yeah. All righty. Should be fun. So we have a handful of additions to the stacks real quick. First, obviously, Black Cat 2. As far as I understand, it's the same plot. <laughs> different different uh nothing boyfriend i like i assume she just goes on but, another mission yeah i wonder if we'll know what the mission's about uh don't know yet uh <laughs> next bad moon which is a 90s werewolf movie i i don't really know much about it i know it's directed by the guy who directed the hitcher which i fucking love uh and he also did body parts oh okay Oh, so no, he didn't do the Hitcher. Uh, mis misremembering, but it is the dude who did body parts, anyways. Uh, so yeah, body parts was fun. Yeah, it's him doing a werewolf movie. It says, uh, cool. in, in looking at the letterbox description, the family dog Thor is the last hope for his family's survival and the end to his werewolf curse. <laughs> I don't know. Mm, all uh, right. <laughs> next is end of the line, where this nurse is on the last train of the night and it gets uh attacked by a, a group of end of the world cultists okay sounds kind of crazy i think they're also cannibals hmm. all right next is the flesh eaters this is another very early gore film from 1964 just a year after blood feast already seeing that influence felt uh it's about this nazi scientist who's randomly on some caribbean island and some uh, th this lady and her personal pilot, like this drunk actress and her pilot crash on the island and they just kind of have to deal with this Nazi scientist who's creating this thing that makes plankton eat humans, I think. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how it works exactly. I, I haven't seen it in a few years. Well, they sure picked a one <laughs> savage beach to crash on. That's a real savage beach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Last edition is One Missed Call, which is an early aughts slasher-esque Japanese horror. Uh, this is a Takashi Miike. Ooh, okay. Uh, I've done a few of his now. This is one that was remade. Like, the, it had a, an American remake. You may vaguely recall One Missed Call. That might be what I'm thinking of. I was like, yeah. have I seen this? So it is uh, the, the premise in both of them. I, I never saw either of them previously. And there's two sequels to it as well oh. um so people get uh voicemails from their 
from their future self dying. Oh, like they okay. they get a message saying the date and time of the death, and then them they like they get a voice message of themselves experiencing death. <laughs> And then <laughs> it's, you know, as it starts to happen, the remaining survivors and like who are in the social circle uh, and who have received calls are trying to figure it out before it happens to them. Cool. That yeah. sounds ring ring esque. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of the ring, but yeah. that sounds cool. Sounds pretty fun. So uh, this week we will be picking from the inactive stacks as I finished the uh, lost pictures box. Uh probably going to be an inactive stacks pick next week as well just okay. to, to to consider while making your choice all right well even though the theme we decided for the month was completely impromptu i do want to kind of see how long i can keep it going i have updated uh, a lot of the inactive stacks to have some gore stuff at the top so cool. there's quite a bit of new stuff on there oh somebody and i don't know if it was you or if it was somebody online was talking about videodrome in the last uh week or so oh it's a cronenberg uh this it was actually heavily inspired by one of the emmanuel movies that's what it was that's yeah. right yeah I mean, the the snuff film sequences in emmanuel in america were a major inspiration for videodrome hmm. why well let's see what else is on here we'll put that on We'll put that on the maybes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, oh, you just mentioned the Hitcher, which is on here. Oh no, that's not actually the Hitcher. That's uh, that's a, oh Hitcher in the dark. Hitcher in the dark. For some reason, it was uh, in some territories sold as a sequel to the Hitcher, even though it has nothing to do with it. I think it's it, it's it's loosely based on a, a true crime guy. Mm, okay, so it's it's Umberto Lenzi who did Nightmare Beach. Oh, okay, cool. It's one of his movies, and it's about this guy driving around with a camper and abducting women, like hitchhikers mainly. Hmm. All right. Uh, eh, okay, there's that. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, oh, Blood Harvest. The Tiny Tim uh, slasher movie. <laughs> Tiny Tim? Like, that's, like that's the, the ukulele guy? That's him on the cover in the clown makeup. That's him. That's him. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, you know what? Let's just go with Videodrome because I've heard it. I've been hearing about this movie a lot over the years and I had never seen it. I don't even really know what it's about. So it's a pretty cool movie. It is a movie about this channel Videodrome that they find out about. And it's sort of like this portal into this snuff universe right oh. but there's just sort of this weird tech uh this it, it's very body horror so it's, it's you know it's classic cronenberg uh, right there's this famous bit where so james woods is our main character and uh a vagina opens up in his stomach and he like reaches into <laughs> it and pulls a gun out what? oh man we gotta watch this yeah it's it's pretty rad <laughs> Uh, we we haven't done as we haven't done much Cronenberg. We did Shivers. Did we do another one? I can't remember. We did Shivers and um, oh, his uh, uh Dead Zone. Um, Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah. The we, one that... we did his his Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing this. This All sounds right. like it'll be fun. 
So next week we will be doing Videodrome, uh, Sentet 2, Cat in the Brain, and Hell High. Continuing gore month. Uh, Yay! Bloody February. <laughs> <laughs> Feb be wary. Ah, February. All right. So any last thoughts before we close for this week? Yeah, I don't remember the lyrics to the Prefect Mori song, so you have to listen to my made-up ones. Oh, Prefect Mori, you're going to make the Mafia be sorry. Rated R. <laughs>